Yeah, hit it. We rolling. Yo, yo. Welcome to uh, a very special October episode. Uh, today, I got my my old friend Jake from, uh, you know, I, I, I always refer to people, you know, via bands on how we met. Um, so that's kind of like the preface there, you know, like, uh, I, I, yeah, but that is truly like how we met. Like I knew your band before I knew you as a human being, even like I saw your band and was like, I need to talk to that guy. I think that's what I remember. We played like deuces wild together and, uh, is wild. Yeah, we played, right. we played deuces wild together. And, uh, it was when you were in let me crazy and, uh, we had a song called try again, which, kind of like the first couple of chords sounded like dinosaur juniors uh it might have been little furry things if i remember correctly um and then after we were done and i think you guys even did a cover of dinosaur junior the lung that same night that's when we were doing the lung like at least one version of it you know before it became like the medley of the whole side a of that record basically yeah um so and then from there we were just like i remember like chris is like like after we were done playing he's like yo he's like we got to go play shows together and uh that's how it started yeah, it was a true match made in mundane indie rock heaven. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and to fast forward, um, you know, you and I, you know, we're going to talk about the, the movie Halloween, the 2018 movie. Oh, can't um, wait. So can't it's, it's going to be like... This a, has been brimming inside me forever. It's good. Just all these points, man. Thank you for even letting me have at it with you. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it would be fun because uh, we're going to, you know, Red River is going to do two um, kind of like uh, horror cent- movie centric episodes for this month, which we always try to do in October. So this will be the first one. Uh, the real October surprise. Yeah, th- this will be the first one and then the other one's going to be like the rest of us. It'll be Langan and Parker back in. Um, so nice. I really wanted to deep dive on this movie because you and I love it. I feel like uh, to some extent we're kind of like apologists for the movie. Um, which is even insane to say, like, you know, you look at the stats for the movie, it, it was a record breaking in terms of, you know, ticket sales, the reviews were generally good, but it was almost an anticipated reaction to believe that like the gatekeepers, the people who Myers has been like a part of their own personal movie canon for like as long as they've been watching movies, like to get precious about it and really pick it apart and find what not to like, whereas you and I... I feel like one of the things that we bonded over right away was how much like we want to like things. We're not looking for reasons to pick it apart. And yeah, this movie felt like it was just layered and layered with things to like. I think I think you hit it on the net uh, on the head with you and I, because uh, I, I feel like in, in the age of like social media, it's almost like you have nothing to say if you can't knock it. And you and I are like looking like I'm looking to like you have to really fuck it up in order for me to just be like it has to be re- yeah. it has to be resurrection or part 5 for me to just be like this is terrible because to me, like we're looking I went in as a fan. I mean, I, like I was just sitting there. And I'm like, holy shit, 2018 is here. We're going to get this Halloween. And uh, especially coming off of Resurrection, 
and the two which i watched last night by the way not to interrupt but we can talk about it now. yeah let's do it so so okay (laughs) your first time watching resurrection which not only not (laughs) not only is it the worst halloween movie in the whole franchise but it might be one of the it might be the worst horror movie sequel that i could think of i mean i i can't believe we had such a synchronous thought like i was halfway through the movie and i'm like thinking of all the big slasher franchises and i'm like yo man like this is inching closer and closer to being worse than fucking hollow uh jason five like this is the worst slasher franchise movie like i i i couldn't have even put it together that way like there must have been so much like extra text in Buster Rhymes contract where it's like, all right, Buster gets to karate kick the shit out of Michael. He gets to uh, trash talk here, here and here. And dude is just, he's a, he's no DMX. He's a piss poor actor. Holy (laughs) shit, man. Like just, but it has such an ambitious beginning. Don't you think? Oh, I I don't know how long it's been since you saw it. No, no, I remember. I felt like that was strong. It was a great beginning. Um, you know, like you see Lori, you know, like it was in her, listen, I, I guess from picking up from seven, like it was so ridiculous, like how they like, he switched masks, but you know, I was willing to forgive it. You know, she dies. It was pretty dramatic. Um, then the, uh, w- one of the, uh, other mental patients is like going through like all like the serial killers, you know, it, he's doing the expo dump. <laughs> yeah. It's like gearing up and you're like, cool. And then, you know, um, it, it was like the beginning of like the internet kind of, and like reality. And, uh, they were trying to like mix it all together. And on top of that, it's Rick Rosenthal coming back after doing Halloween two, which I love. Yeah. I wouldn't have even known that if you told it, yeah, if, if I, you didn't tell me, I would have never guessed that those two movies had any lineage other than Michael Myers. And, 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 and you know what the, Probably the worst part about it was, aside from like that fucking Busta Rhymes thing, um, the mask. The mask was so fucking bad. Like it, yo, his name should have been fucking Michael Rosenstein because that was a fucking <laughs> Jufro like I have never yeah. seen. Like, come on, like the the face was detailed. Like I like how they took the H two O mask, which you know, spoiler alert, I rented H two O and Resurrection, watched them back to back. Okay, and um. It's like as if they took the Halloween H2O mask and like the face had some shading. Like it had some like of that like, I don't know, that like deep blue kind of contouring that that was missing from like the last several movies. You know, so it did have that kind of creepy look to it. But then you just look up and it's like, dude, like what are you accomplishing with that? What is this? Yeah, like what? How is everybody not laughing at you before you stab them? What is this? Um... Well, I thought the fucking choice to um, not only kill Lori, like what balls you have to be like the what eighth or ninth movie in a franchise and kill your heroine. She wanted out. She she said I oh okay. she like so after seven she's like seven's the last one so when they she did H two O she's like I'll come back but this is the last one uh, like a courtesy like I'll let you do something with this character yeah. but I'm not going to be in another movie kind of thing yeah kind of like you know um and 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 made sense in ninety eight for her to come back for the twenty year it's like okay you know what let's just put this thing to bed. And then somewhere along the way, four years later, they were just like, can you just come for like 10 minutes? 
Can you just like hold this raggedy and doll full of pills and then let us kill you? Yeah, Yo, you, you'll be you'll be here ten minutes tops. No worries. <laughs> yeah, right. But, like you get catering, you you show up for an hour and you'll be done for the day. But uh, but uh, I, I I didn't hate the the uh, mask switching because at the end of H two O, like that was such a. I mean, it'll probably come up later. Um, you know, that it's really like the spiritual sister to the Hello? Halloween that we're going to be tackling today. Oh. And um, how certain, like, you know, certain elements are so, I guess, whatever era that H2O came out versus versus this era. And Michael, like, reaching out for her when he's trapped between the van and the tree. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. This feels like that's, like, not something Michael would do. And the rest of that H2O ending was so satisfying. But then watching Resurrection right afterwards, it's as if that created like a pathway to accept that plot point right in the w- away in the beginning. And I'm like, oh, so that's why Michael looked like a giant wuss when he was just like, come help me, you know, <laughs> because it wasn't him. It w- and I was pretty accepting of that. I kind of liked it, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into seven because I have some feelings on seven and I feel like this that that is like the cr- the closest thing to what we're about to discuss um mm-hmm. but uh yeah so you know i i wanted to jump in with that first question you know like um uh were you basically were you excited when when this was announced and who was attached to it i could not have been more hyped for this like I am such, I love, I haven't seen everything David Gordon Green does, but Danny McBride might be my favorite famous person on earth. Like there's just something about what he does and the way he does it. I loved Eastbound and Down. I'm a huge Your Highness fan. Like I know that's the movie that gets hated on a lot, but you watch it get the Lebowski treatment like 10 years from now and people are going to be loving Your Highness. It's going to be a fucking cult classic. It's 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 getting there. Some people definitely remember it the way you do i thought it was good hello fucking julie dude it rules but and uh, when i heard they were taking on halloween my initial just impression was that they had an idea that they brought to blumhouse like that they had been oh here's these comedy guys who were just really into this halloween and they're like i imagine them like kind of driving the ship of getting this movie made and then it turns out that blum had the property and he 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 was a fan of Gordon Green's and he kept offering him films like, you know, to do for Blumhouse. And Gordon Green just kept saying, like, no, it's not for me. And then, you know, to hear Jason Blum tell it, it's a lot more animated. But he's like, you know, I sent him a one word email that just said Halloween question mark. And that was the one that he wanted to do. So it's like they got the idea to do it. They had already gotten Carpenter's blessings because, you know, once again, Blum seems to be like a a genius at this. He's like, listen, this is going to get made. Like somebody's going to take this property and make another Halloween movie. You might as well do it with me. Who's going to like set you up. And so like, I I couldn't have been more on board. Yeah, I was the same. I, I, you know, um, to me, like, I don't know your relationship with the Halloween franchise, but to me out of the big four and the big four, you know, Friday the 13th, uh, nightmare, Texas Chainsaw on this. Um, out of the big oh, four, this is my, exactly. my favorite. This is the one that th- there's something about the actual um, character, Michael Myers, that like uh, when I was younger, I would get reoccurring nightmares of Michael Myers. Uh, he wow. he like embedded into my psyche. Not, you know, like you see 
Fred, uh, you know, you see Freddy Krueger, you know, Robert Englund. It, it's like a personality and you see him and after a while it kind of yeah, like. He's so articulate. Yeah, it's know? just like you're like, OK, whatever. Uh, Jason seemed like a just a big dumb jock um, that <laughs> like there wasn't like he was he was he had a lot of screen time. That's what it was. Um, Texas Chainsaw, sure. same thing, you know, aside from like the hitchhiker. But there was something about Michael Myers and like the first uh, bunch of movies where it's you never really see him. He doesn't really get that much screen time, so he's always lurking. Right, that's why they call him the shape. Yeah. Right? Like cuz he's just this shape in the in the distance in the doorway or something. And the ma- you know, like you see the mask on occasion, like w- w- which is what I really love about like the first two films like John Carpenter, especially the first one where it's like you you know something's going to happen because you're watching a fucking slasher movie but man it was just like this like ramped up fucking like tension and w- you'll see the mask here and there and you're like oh shit is he going to do something and you just keep waiting and i love going back to the original one of my favorite scenes is when um i don't know if you remember when when Annie forgot the keys to the car and it was locked and then she went back into the house and she's like you know singing a song she goes and gets the keys, and then she goes and opens up the door without the keys, and then she sits in the car, and at that moment, we're all thinking, like, well, that was weird. Why is the car unlocked now? And then she noticed that, the, like, the the windshield was foggy, and then from there, he, like, got her. But that was after yeah, he... Yeah, that's fucking masterful. After he stalked her for, like, 30 minutes. Like, the whole time, you're just like, when is he going to fucking do it? And, you know... <laughs> Get on with it. Yeah, you know, and it's just like... But- well, I wanted to ask you this, because, I mean, I came around to the... Like, my understanding of the Halloween franchise was it was probably the last of the... Like you said, like, th- those were the same big four franchises for me. And Halloween seemed like... I felt like it was the one that I came around to last. Like, I came to Freddy first because I was young and it's, like, cartoony. And there's all this kind of wild fantasy going on. Uh, Friday the 13th was very digestible, like, what it was. It really was just, like, the Cliff's Notes, like... <laughs> fucking Filene's Basement brand Halloween, you know? It's just Sean Cunningham, like, put everything cool about Halloween into a sifter and, you know, cranked out 100 movies for, you know, to line his pockets with. Not that I'm, you know, I don't want to be too unfair to Jason, you know? He's just a big lumber... I love big, wet, sloppy killer Jason. Yep. But, like, Halloween was... I, I When I was young, I kind of didn't understand its place in the slasher world. It's just like, oh, well, he's... He seems like a, a Jason that just has a human mask. And then the first thing that sh- that jumped out at me when I was watching it, you know, after having seen all these franchise movies, was like, oh, my God, it's so much scarier yeah. that his mask is just a guy. Yeah. Like he's getting away with standing on a street corner or like, you know, driving down a suburban street. So like was Michael your first kind of slasher or had you come around to him in, in, in the same kind of roundabout way? Shout out to uh, William Shatner for uh, letting that likeness be used. <laughs> what, what? You know that- and Don Post, I believe, right? That was a Don Post Star Trek mask. Um, I, I, I guess so. It was some, yeah, it must have been Star Trek. I mean, what, what yeah, else? Would, classic factoid. Uh, yeah, for sure. What else would there have been in '78? TJ, right? Like he almost was a Leonard Nimoy yeah. painted white <laughs> slasher, like in a different timeline, right? 2020 would have never happened, and Leonard Nimoy would be Michael Myers. That's it. And with the point is, oh, you know, the slasher movie with the pointy ear. Yeah, <laughs> the emotionless killer. Um, but like, was Michael like your dude? Like, yeah, you know, as man. Far as like your slasher archetype. Yeah. So for me, it, it was like all the other movies were fun, and all like the one-offs, like Prowler, and like 
you know, the, the slasher subgenre was my favorite, but there was something always like more appealing to me about a, a guy who was a fucking human being who escapes from a mental institution and uh, he's just killing people with no real rhyme or reason. Um, and, and of course, they gave him that reason in, in part two. You know, he was like trying Ugh. to kill his like sister or stepsister or whatever. Um, yeah, which we, we can, we can yeah, you know, let's, if you want to turn this into a fight podcast, like we can start talking about Halloween too. <laughs> oh, no, no, but, but, but the, so, so what they did with, with, with the, with this movie is that they got rid of all like the folklore that they threw in for part two. So you're you're okay with that then, right? Like for for the beginning, I am. Um, at first, when I had you know, because the 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 facts that would trickle out before the movie came out, I remember that was one of the big things. Like, hey, there's going to be a Halloween. Fucking the Eastbound and Down guys are attached to it, and they're retconning all the sequels. I like Halloween too as a slasher movie, but as a Halloween movie and as a sequel to Halloween 78, like woof, like it fucking sucks as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it takes all the like nuance and the auteur kind of approach and like what was scary about the first one, because that's like something that David Gordon Green said, you know, McBride said it, you know, they articulated what I was thinking when I saw the movie was like, you're right. It's so much less scary that he's going after his sister, because you're, if you're not in between him and his sister, you could be fine. You know, yeah. You, as long as you're not, you know, having sex or s smoking a joint. Yeah. Like you probably won't get killed because he's not after you. Whereas in the first movie, I mean, dude, that like you just didn't know who was on the fucking chopping block. It was like, that was what was scary about it. This is the suburbs. It could happen to anyone. It could be anybody else. And then all of a sudden we get like eight movies tracing his bloodline oh my until God. fucking <laughs> Paul Rudd has to call down a Norse God or whatever shit they had fucking diluted. So I was really not only psyched for the idea of doing that, but it showed right away how ambitious they were being with the IP. So they were like, yeah, yo, they're fans of this movie for generations. Like we know that there's going to be a lot of touchy subjects, but like, guess what? We're retconning every fucking movie. So right away I'm like, these dudes are ambitious. They must have a fucking solid idea and a real, they, they want to push something, you know, in reference to like what you had said before about wanting to like things. The only things that I don't like, like you can be bad and be earnest. I think that's where we get like the room, the room and Birdemic. It's like the people making it like are Holy trying to make a good shit. movie. Birdemic. But it's like when you see uh, a movie where it's just like, oh, you're just doing this for cash. And oh, this is just I like hate a that. Cutter script. Yeah. Like that's what offends me. Like, like Sharknado. Oh, you wasted all these people. It, dude, perfect. Like Sharknado. Perfect. You like, like you, you reverse engineer an idea. Yeah. And. You know, put it through the motions. You have no respect for your audience, no respect for the people who worked on this movie, like their time. It's just a fucking paycheck to you. And like, that's the kind of shit I don't yeah, like. Listen, so when they come out they, saying it's going to be ambitious. The guy that did Birdemic really thought he was making good money. <laughs> yeah. And I love that about him, yeah. man. I, I mean, I and let's not pretend that this is not a conversation happening between two guys who were probably raised on like USA up all yeah. night movies, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, you know, like, like you said, uh, The Room and the other one was uh, Troll. No, Troll 2. Because I remember Trolls, in, in oh the gosh. in the documentary, he was just like, man, he's like, everyone's kind of like laughing at this movie. I don't know why they think it's so funny. Yeah, right. Even after like it was getting its cult status, guy was like, 
It is not funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. But uh, yeah, let's jump in. Let's jump in this movie. Um, let's go for, for the opening. I mean, unless you had anything on your list uh, pre-movie. I mean, uh, question-wise, not not necessarily. I, I do have kind of things that are pretty beat by beat. But I would. The first question I think is definitely the cold open. You know. Okay. So, you know, where are you on that? Like, what did you how did you feel about the the cold open? OK, like everything pre credits. So Halloween is definitely one of those movies that always has that cold open. Um, the first one, you know, which I didn't remember. I didn't remember that was every movie. Yeah. Like the first one, he like stabs up his sister. Um, the second one is just kind of like the the um, the ending of the first. Uh, but for this one, I love how they throw in um, the podcasters. And how they go oh, into man. Smith's Grove, and uh, they're talking. Can we talk about that right away? Like, yeah, let's as do. a podcaster, like, where does this does this like does this offend you? Oh no, no, yeah, I love it. I love, I love, I love it because it's such a modern thing, um, and it's and it's something that you know people do. Like, you're you're putting together this like you know podcast series, and um, you know, uh, it, it might have been the Michael Myers episode, and they're like, all right, we got to go to Smith Grove, and and we got to go talk to you know. Dr. Sartan. So you don't take umbrage with the no. uh, fact that they're recording their intro in the lobby and you're like, oh man, that's not soundproof. You're yeah. not good podcasters. Fuck you guys. Listen, I'm in my bedroom, hold up, quarantined, <laughs> talking. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I love it because, um, you know, you, you see like the just the name Smith Grove. It just brings you back. Like right there, I'm I'm in I'm in yeah. Halloween land already. Um, and then from there, just like the fact that they put on like this like record player of all things, like it's just such a weird like um, Dude. it's such a weird detail that they're like it almost made me feel like I was watching like Shawshank, you know, in like the fifties. Um and yeah, good ref, definitely. You know, so I remember seeing that montage and being like, you know, it's it stands out. I mean, granted, this is we're talking after each of us have viewed this movie like a number of times over a number of years, but I'm watching that montage and going like, oh, this is like, this is settling us in as patients of Smith's Grove or like visitors to Smith's Grove. You see people freakazoids wobbling back and forth down the hallways you hear like hushed conversations between doctors talking to catatonic patients and it really drives home this idea of like these people are treated as if they're beyond help and many of them likely are so this is just a place where like they're gonna put on records and you know sedate them and feed them and let them eke out the their existence that way and it just settles the mood in so quick, like one of my best notes, not best notes, like I'm patting myself on the back for it. <laughs> one of my most like, like a uh, uh, standout notes rather is that like, it's evident right away. What an asset David Gordon Green's eye for direction and photography does for this movie and for immediately this mythology immediately, <sighs> like immediately how he's got like the, the he's got, you know, the the um there there's there's so much suspension of disbelief that you have to do which I I you know I feel like when you hear contrarians picking apart the movie suddenly it's always like well would he really do that it's like none of this would really happen none of this, this is a movie yeah none of like, this enjoy yourself yeah you know like, like this is a story and this one is especially telling a lot of there's a lot of layers to this fucking story 
So like he's pulling this mask out and all you see is Michael twitch, like a tiny little twitch. But then the camera starts circling all the other patients as they're getting louder and louder. And then it cuts to this zoom that's coming from overhead on top of Michael. So it's like you are being thrown around in all these different directions on top of what is a literal chessboard of crazy psychopaths. It was so effective when it's just like, say something. And then the movie comes, the opening comes in. It's like, oh, he's begging us to say something. This is what we're going to say for the next hour and a half. This is what we're going to say about Halloween, about Michael Myers, about what all of our ideas for this. It was just like, it just, it's such a hit the ground running kind of moment that like, I, I it was so perfect. And what I love, what I love about it too is like, it started off, you know, now that I could look at it in retrospect, but like, um, you know, Sartan with like the foreshadowing being like, you know, Loomis was the only one who saw him in the wild. Um, this guy has not, you know, he, he's not the person in here that he was out there. And from there you kind of just feel him like salivating, just wanting to see him out in the open. You know, yeah, that's why the fact that he even says the wild. Yeah, it's the like, wild. Oh, so you're like a Richard Attenborough for serial killers, huh? Guy? Yeah, for sure. Right. Because that's why he like let these people go in. He they, he wanted them to like it's like he wanted them to antagonize him enough to have this reaction to where he yeah. could just be like, yeah, he's like, just just fucking pull this out. Because like, the girl looks back at him when, uh, you know, the, the main podcaster was like pulling out the mask and like Sartan was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, let him just keep going. That he borrowed from his friend because that's what happened. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you're gonna, it's like right away, you know, like, all right, I shouldn't pick shit apart. They're just letting me know right away. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then, you know, goes in uh, to, to the credits and, and you're back. You're back in in Haddonfield, and it's fucking great. I mean, the the pumpkin was a little weird. I, I don't know. I don't know what was up with that. It was like I thought it was a fun choice. It was weird that it wasn't like some like Nine Inch Nails video, like rewind of a rotting pumpkin, and yet it looked like you're inflating a fucking beach ball. That's what it was. That's what it was. That. Yeah, that's that's what it was. <laughs> it like threw me off, you know. Uh, yeah, this is not how a pumpkin disintegrates. Like, what is up? Um, and then from there. We jump into the movie. So uh, what do you have on your list over there? Um, where do we go to? Um, well, what? I don't know what scene the movie opens on. Like my first note after, you know, the, the talking about the cold open is how we go from Smith's Grove to this familiar kind of, you know, credit scene with the pumpkin and the carpenter font and it's like you so you know perfectly stated like we're inhabiting Hanfield like kind of right away yeah because I think I think I think it went to the kids after like they were you know talking about um right weren't they like uh uh uh, Laurie's granddaughter my my first note is is about and maybe we can just start with the scene is that um is when the podcasters are going to meet Laurie okay yeah yeah like uh, they, you know, we've seen them go to the to the sanitarium, yep. seen how they address Michael, seen what it takes for them to get through to Michael. Like they have to go through the lobby. They have to go through the doctor they have to go through all these movements. But yet they say like Mike Sartain says, Michael was aware he watched you come in, you know, so we we, we know that about him. And then we see the many walls it takes to get the podcasters face to face with Lori and yet how she's just standing there and watching them come in. Like it's, it's 
immediately setting up the dyad of like, this is 40 years removed. This is where the two of them are. And the rest of the movie is going to be us bringing them together. Yeah. And how like the podcaster, the guy, uh, I forget the names of the podcast. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Once again, they're recording their, uh, you know, their ADR in their car, which is like, come on, guys. And and podcasters, you got 3000 bucks to pay somebody? Like, I, I don't think that's how the podcast economy works. Nah. Um, <laughs> that, I can tell, tell you now. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you gave me the Red River Podcast corporate card, and, you know, yeah. like, I, I, I took it easy. But, you know, you only get this chance once in your life. Uh, but the dude podcaster... When they're trying to get into Lori's house, he's like, we've traveled a long way, you know, after we've seen him needling Michael and like, say something, say something. And it takes the female to a female podcaster to say, like, just give her the money and we'll go in. Absolutely. It's like her acknowledgement of her silent acknowledgement, more specifically, of Lori's trauma as another woman versus a man who's like, you know, forcing his will. I came a long way. I flashed this mask to this guy sets up what really is the best thing about the movie to me, like the cosmic slop of the metaphor and subtext. This movie to me just like redefined, you know, cause we, we, as, as slasher fans, we know that sexual dynamics and gender dynamics figure heavily in like the horror trope. And like for this movie to examine and bring those kind of things to the front, define them, redefine them. It's almost as if Halloween 78 and Halloween 2018 are just the bookends of that era of slasher where it's like Halloween one started it. What I have written down here is Halloween 78 is about the killer behind you. Halloween 2018 is about the killer standing in front of you. I like the angle that they were shooting for. Obviously, that wasn't going to be a plot point, but I like when he was like, um, you know, they obviously had the plan. It's like, let's go try to get a reaction from Michael. And if nothing happens, let's get to Laurie. And they were trying to do like one of those like Geraldo fucking things where they like you know, roadmaps yeah, it's like you know it's like you just sit there it's like all right laurie we're gonna sit here we're gonna have michael on this side um and it just seemed like you know like something that a normal journalist would do like they're trying to get this story um, yeah they're trying to just neg her into like doing what they want her to do which is ultimately for their podcast oh absolutely and yeah for his satisfaction i mean this is like playing to a true crime conscious audience where it's like, you're familiar with these kind of podcasts. You're familiar with maybe like this archetype of host who's like getting into the mind of the serial killer, but she's like sitting there. She's the victim. It happened to her. Her life was destroyed because of it. Yet here's this guy who claims to want to help her and help Michael. Oh yeah. But he's really just <laughs> prodding her and going, Hey, shouldn't you cope with it like this? Shouldn't you cope with it like that? Like, I want to understand Michael. And she's like, Michael's not, you know, the whole first 78, they keep referring to him as the boogeyman. Yeah. And in this, like the first time you hear that word is he's like, you know, do you still believe in the boogeyman? And she's like showing you that she's come around. She's like, Michael's a guy who killed like a bunch of my friends and you want to, you want to figure him out and you're willing to do that by like reopening my wounds. Like, what the fuck are you trying to do? It's it's 
it's a movie about trauma. It's about, you know, generations of the Strode family having to deal with this one night where this one guy who feels no remorse and no motivation just like derailed her entire fucking life. And here's the first evidence of why she's, you know, holed up in that house. It's like, you've got an entire society structure telling you how to cope, telling you what you should do. And, you know, a, something that Danny McBride brought, uh, brought up, I listened to, you know, the Halloween unmasked episode, a podcast episode to, to get some of this research and stuff. And he was like in 78, after that Halloween, Laurie Strode probably had to go to school the next day. Like, they didn't deal with trauma. They didn't deal with PTSD. There was no guidance. It was like they really thought hard about what 40 years would be like for this woman and what it would do so specifically. Like, and yet here we are, we're first evidenced with it by the, by these podcasters who are just like really like the villainous characters yeah. of this movie, at least in the first. Well, act. yeah, I, I think, I, I think the female podcaster is like a little bit like easier than the, the male one, but it, all of a sudden, like, you know, as these like set pieces start coming out and the characters, you already realize that like this is like the best setup of any of the Halloweens that have, you know, maybe H2O had a really good setup like this where it had a bunch of characters. Um, mm-hmm. But this this was already well thought out. You know, it, it was uh, better than two as far as like uh, character development, four five six like all of these you know that you could tell Ooh, better than halloween six wow well as far as character <laughs> development i'm just saying you know because you have these you know like you said the generations. so you have alice and the granddaughter and then later on we, we see uh laurie's daughter karen who kind of acts the way someone should be acting when their mom's an alcoholic she had she had this traumatic in, uh, thing happen to her but it really was 40 years ago and sure it was a fucked up thing but like 40 years ago, like if you're a kid, you're thinking like, man, mom, just get over it. You know, I, w- I want you to stop drinking and stop fucking talking about Michael. Uh, yeah, my life, my life. What about my life? Like you're protecting me from your life, basically. Yeah. But these are the years that I'm supposed to be living my life. So, of course, like your overprotection is what pushes her away. I think like we find out. I don't know if this is right when Karen pops on screen. I'm pretty sure it is, but it's like we know just how distant Karen is by the fact that it's Halloween and she's wearing a Christmas sweater. I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's good. That was like that was a point. Like that was that was a conscious choice. That was like she is not about this shit. She has had to like you know, it, it it comes on at a at a later scene at Karen's home where, you know, Lori invades and shows how vulnerable her house is that like you ever hear the um the un- you hear it. You ever read the onion edlo- headline that says apology screamed? It's like, oh, yeah, she's yelling at her mom. The world is full of peace and love. And, and it's like, wow. Judy Greer's performance in this movie. She was great. Like, really? Wasn't she really communicate? Wasn't she great? incredible incredible i thought she was she was really like she so effectively communicated like i am yelling this at you like this is i'm convincing myself of all these things i had to raise myself and create my entire you know belief system my entire understanding of the world 
was up against you rather than guided by you. It's so effective. And, um, you know, one of my questions that I have is basically who, like in the whole movie, do I think was the actual best actor? Um, and I picked Judy Greer. I think she she did the best job. Like if, if someone was going to get an Oscar for this performance or this movie, I think she definitely the, did the best job out of all of them. Um, I, 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 I agree totally. I mean, my my favorite, I was I was. You know, I didn't want to say it because it's like the obvious pick, but it's like I, I do think what Jamie Lee Curtis does with Laurie Strode in this movie is just fucking remarkable. But Karen's performance is the it's it's uh, Laurie's performance relied very heavily on whoever played Karen being like really tuned in and like it might not have been the same way the other way around. Like Jamie Lee Curtis needed Judy Greer to do that good of a job. So what do we think of, of, of the vibe so far of the movie? You know, like as it, as it goes on, you know, we go from Smith Grove to, um, you know, Laurie's house. And then from there we meet up with the family. Um, and all these things start coming, you know, around, we meet, uh, Laurie's, um, Son-in-law, who's definitely like the one comedic part of the thing, where he's like Toby Huss. I love that. Dude, I man. I was like, did like I'm like sitting there watching the movie the first time. I'm like, did he just say he got yogurt on his dick? I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I was very confused. It was such a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was such a weird choice. You're so right. Like I I, I, I had to kind of like go backwards and be like why the f- why did he fucking say but that? It, it it what i like about it, it it wasn't overpowering like if you watch five with those fucking keystone cops um it mm. wasn't like when like anytime they try to crowbar humor into any of these movies before this it was very forced um he just seemed like a, a guy who was just like kind of like jokey and like funny um, and this was obviously before all the tension build up. So like, it wasn't like that overpower. I'm like, Oh, maybe this guy's just, you know, he's just like a funny guy. Even when they have dinner later on, you know, he's telling like, uh, Allison's boyfriend that, uh, his, he smoked peyote with his dad, uh, yeah. and all that other stuff. Which is when we see Cameron react, like he's super embarrassed by that. We and see who? he's still driving home like, Oh, we trip balls in the forest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you got to love about, you know, having, these guys behind the helm of this movie it's like like you said like you're you're totally right all the other films like any levity felt so forced and just like hammered in poorly and it's like these guys know they know funny they're like they probably just know a funny actor that they can say just all right ad lib do whatever you want and let it happen naturally yeah because just it- get talented people in the room and like the comedy will happen um so an- another cool thing that i loved was basically when uh you see a, a shot of Allison in the beginning and she she's sitting in her classroom um and it was kind of like an homage to the first uh Halloween where Laurie's sitting in her classroom only when she looks outside of her classroom window she sees Michael but this mm-hmm. time uh Allison sees her grandmother Laurie um and then after that like I guess she goes outside and meets her and, and the three grand that the podcasters give her she gives to the granddaughter. <laughs> She, yeah, she was just like, you know, she's like, I can't take this, and she's like, yeah, just fucking take it. Go to Mexico, do something, you know. Yeah, and she's like, your mom will freak, but like that doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, like we see that like this fan service moment, like the fan service in this movie is done so well that it's like, 
why do we see Laurie looking in the classroom window? Like we, David Gordon Green knows that we know what that tableau is like looking out the window, seeing Myers in the first one, that this is like a very important visual. And it's like, Oh, we see her out there. Like her grandmother has been haunting her life with Michael Myers. Like she is essentially I mean, you know, the granddaughter is is two generations removed. So, like, what she knows of Michael Myers is represented, what, only by the life that her grandmother leads. And she wants her to be a part of her family, but she can't bring her mother and her grandmother together. And when you hear Lori go, like, go to fucking Mexico, it'll it'll freak your mom out. It's like, oh, this is, like, very real... uh, uh, dealing with you know the generations of trauma like here's the mother go li- the grandmother trying to live vicariously through her granddaughter like i never got out of here like go to fucking mexico like do something you know to have some fun in your life but meanwhile like it's like she's led this whole life where she pushed her daughter away by being overprotective so here she is trying to write the scales or whatever by telling her granddaughter to do this. But there's also this kind of like insidious triggering where she's like, your mom will freak. It's like, Oh, if I give this money to the granddaughter and say, take it to Mexico, like my daughter's going to have to call me to bitch at me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like she's, she can't ignore this, you know? Yeah. That's, and it's like, they've just been communicating through, uh, how they deal with these horrible events and the horrible fallout. And that's like just this sad thread that weaves these people together who, for whatever reason, stayed in that fucking town. Also, um, the teacher's voice. I don't know if you know who the teacher's voice was in, in the classroom. I do, but I'll let you say it because it's fun. Uh, yeah, I know who it is, okay. but I, you know, yeah. I want to give you the thrill of saying okay, it. Okay, cool. yeah, so PJ Souls, you know, once again, you're talking about, you know, fan service. Um, you know, little things like that. You, you know, you throw it in and uh, it's it's not over, you know, you're not being hit over the head with it. Like, you really have to, like, do your, your homework and be like, oh, shit, that's so cool that she's on there. J- yeah. Just like the reference. And it's always with a purpose, you know? It's never just, like, fan service for the sake of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, they, they, they put it in there for a reason. And, you know, you... PJ Souls, man, one of the top what five ladies of the eighties, yeah. like legend. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool she she got in there, you know. Um, yeah, but then yeah. So moving on. Well, I have a question for you, if you don't mind me throwing in like a fun one in the beginning. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, I was wondering, you know, because like when I heard that Danny McBride was going to be writing a Halloween movie, I thought, like, there's no way he's not putting himself in this movie in, like, some kind of role. Oh. And I wonder if, like, if you thought that there was a place for Danny McBride in this movie, like, if there was, like, a character that you thought, like, he would... I don't think so. His particular place could could fit in well. No. Maybe after I saw Arizona, I would have said, uh, yeah. But uh, (laughs) that was a dark comedy. Um, yeah. you know, I'm glad he didn't because I feel like it really would have taken me out of it. Like I really do. Like I just like maybe with makeup on or something like when Wes Craven was like, um, you know what? When, uh, Wes Craven was like the janitor dressed up as Freddy and scream where you're just like, Oh, that's weird. I'm like, Oh shit. That's what's oh, so like a, like a cameo. Type yeah. Thing. Yeah. Like a cameo type thing where you just like, but it, it just, yeah, I, I'm glad they didn't. You know, I mean, who knows what, what's going to happen with kills and and Halloween ends? Maybe maybe they'll be in there, 
But uh, oh, I'm kind of Halloween Kills. That teaser is like the only teaser that has ever affected me that hard. Like, what a perfect thing to put out. That was great. That was great for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so mo- moving along, you know, you, you meet up with uh, Allison's boyfriend, his really annoying fucking friend, who's definitely my least favorite character of the whole movie. Ugh. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Right? Who who else do we hate other than than? I mean, it's funny because you 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 posed the question, you know, before this, like, who's your fa- who's your least favorite character? And I feel like you might have engineered that question because it's like, oh, like there are some, you know, no spoilers, but there are some characters that are really divisive and are really hated in this story, and yeah, like you put it that way, it's like, well, he was the fucking. He was the douchiest guy on screen, like, and that was his only purpose. Yeah, you know, and I feel like if anyone kind of, um, you know how like every horror movie has that one over actor, and you're kind of like, oh my god, I can't wait for this person to get killed. Oh yeah, the costume guy in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Okay, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I I just saw a movie. Why won't they kiss me? I'm doing all this terrible magic. I just saw um I just saw a movie called Hellfest, which I thought was great. And that movie, same thing. Like just recently, I'm watching this girl. I'm like, this girl has been annoying the whole fucking movie. I can't <laughs> wait for someone to fucking take her out. Um, and yeah. and that kid just yeah, there was something about him that just uh. You know, definitely just bothered me. Um, well, I saw like that he's got an interesting analog and, in, you know, what will come up later with with Dr. Sartain, who I feel like yeah. would be the easy answer as far as like who's the worst character, because that was like a really bold choice to let with that guy. The Sartain thing, role. right? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was interesting, right? Because uh, a strange choice. Yeah. OK, so we'll get there. Let, let's do so. One of my favorites. Well, this kid, you know, when he's fighting, I just going to put this put this out there. Like, you know, when we meet Cameron and his shitty kid, his shitty friend, it's like we see his shitty friend like really desperately trying to be like, you know, the important relationship in Cameron's life when he's like, you know, talking about his girlfriend and always this fat fucking friend of his is so disappointed that they're not doing a costume together and he's just touching him and wrestling him. And it's like (laughs) it 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 really sets up this like it, it rather than it doesn't even set up. It's already been set up like it really reinforces this like we're gonna fucking examine like all of the the horniness that's in the horror trope, but instead of just like, you know, show your tits and get stabbed with a machete, like that one-to-one, they're really going to like, you know, examine all that shit. And I found that super interesting, you know, that they, they, they got away with metaphor that easily and that quickly, you know, I wonder if that like came out at all for you. No, I mean, yeah, that that one didn't hit me, but uh, I'm glad. Once again, what I love about this movie is like, I'm glad you took it. I I read deep into it. Like this whole fucking movie is 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 just many layers. Well, that's why I wanted to get the the episode in because I I wanted to hear all those layers. Um, so moving into like one of my favorite scenes, uh, I picked three favorite scenes. And um, one of them is um, just the the transfer. Um, so the, the tra- my favorite too, the, definitely. Yeah, like the transfer of Myers from Smith Grove. You know, because uh, Sartan was talking about that 
I guess that we're going to move into some like shithole. Um, and I really like the angle that was taken here where he put himself in this position. I, I, I mean, obviously, I, I don't really know how it happened or, or, or if he let him go or, or something. Um, but I mean, that's, that must have been what, what Sartan did. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you see, it's at least implied. Yeah, it's implied. And you see like, you know, the, uh, with the, the son talking to like his dad in the car before they, they, they come across. It was such a funny favorite character in the movie is that kid. Okay. Right. So, you know, when you're talking about love that kid, when you're talking about reading deep into something, like he's talking about, like, he didn't want to go fishing. He wanted to go dancing. So dancing, obviously they're, they're having this thing that like, maybe the son's trying to come out to his dad or something like, you know, dude, can I have like a fucking sidebar here just to hammer down on like how much I love this kid and how much this works? Like hammer. I'll try and blaze through it, but like I really, really identified with it. And especially after rewatching the movie. So that scene comes after their exchange at the restaurant yep. where, you know, uh, and first of all, like we'll talk about this afterwards, but that Allison calls Lori grandmother. I couldn't get over it. Every time she said grandmother. Oh, right? Like, I fucking hate it. Who calls her grandmother? Yeah. Grand- is grandmother coming? Grandmother. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Is this a grim fairy tale? Like, what the fuck are we working Not with? Not even grandma. <laughs> yeah. Grandmother. You know? Yeah. It's like, come on. It, it, it just seemed weird. It was right there with the, you know, peanut butter on my penis. No. Y- but, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. That- they have Lori show up. You know, th- they have this intensely powerful transfer scene yeah. where, like, you're hearing tape of Loomis talk about Michael. You're seeing the podcasters exchanging information with each other. You see Lori sitting outside, like trying to handle it. Like, you know, so much of this movie is about control in the face of trauma. Like Lori has been trying to control everything that happens. But when she sees the bus that Michael's on, man, she crumbles, she crumbles right away. And she goes to seek solace in her family, which is like. But before you know, before we get there, remember, like another a cool scene was like the the image of Michael, you know, obviously in her mind coming up to the car. I thought that was pretty fucking heavy too. Oh yeah, right. Like you totally. see, like, yeah, totally, like, like driving away. But yeah, but go ahead. Which is kind of like a throwback to H two O. I realized because they did a lot of that in H two O, where like Michael appeared. Yeah in like a shadow or reflection and he wasn't really there. But like, so they follow this up, this, you know, she seeks solace with her family. She goes to meet them at the restaurant. They had this huge exchange. We saw what control Lori wanted to exert over Michael and how it broke her down. So she goes to her family and her daughters right away with the harsh judgments. And like, she's telling her how to act and how to sit and how to do this. And then even, when they're through that, you know, uh, Karen says, oh, can we just press the reset button? Which is like a classic gaslighting thing to say, where it's like, not only do I want to tell you how to act and how to deal, but I also want to tell you when it's time to stop talking about that and focus on something else. Like this is Karen trying to do her control. And then we hear from Karen, she's telling Allison about her childhood. She's saying what she had to deal with, how she had to grow up, you know, beat by beat as if we're, we're meant to believe that that's the first time that's happening. And we see just like 
oh, they've had an entire lifetime of this fraught relationship, of this inability to communicate, and Karen has had to push so hard to get through it. And then we come to this scene where this little kid is talking to his fucking stereotypical bumpkin dad, and he is so mature and so effectively just goes, hey, dad, like, I really love you, and I love spending time with you, but I got to make time for dance. And it's like... Wow, he just did what Karen wanted to do over the last forty years and did it in thirty seconds. That's a heavy. That's a heavy thing, right there. Yeah, for sure. I was. He said, "Did he not say it so well? Like, did you not hear that kid and go, man? I have never heard somebody like, for, speak that succinctly all, before in my life." I was thinking of of the age difference. I'm like, that's not your grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> you look like so much older, right? And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that yeah, that, yeah, that right. that's a good angle. Um, and then like it, what I love about that too is um, uh, total homage I feel to um Halloween one when you see the escape patients all kind of like um walking in their white t-shirts and you're like holy yeah. shit. So then you know the and what an imagery alone, yeah. just like how well photographed that is of the dark, like you know Midwestern highway and just these white sheets, kind of like waving in the wind with these kind of Medi- you know vacant heads Medicaid, bobbling yeah. around in them, Medi- and then you just see the bus turned over and the kid once again super mature. He calls nine one one. He tells them what's up. He grabs the gun when he walks out of the car, which is like. A classic horror mistake. If we were watching like a stereotypical slasher, that kid would not have taken a gun with him. He would have just been like, Dad, what's going on? You know, it would have happened then. But he winds up shooting the doctor by accident, screams fuck. Like, that's how a kid would fucking react. Yeah. But as he gets more and more afraid, he stops yelling dad and he just yells daddy. And it's like you see him all that maturity that is literally the only thing we know about this character just disappear because this whole movie is like what fear does to people. And, and that's where the, the real horror steps in. Like those Halloween sequels uh, are not scary. Like, and it's, and it's more than just, you know, that it's Lori's brother. Like, yeah, that, that, that definitely takes away the scare factor, but it's also just like you're exploring his bloodline and there's all this stuff that kind of just makes it a procedural slasher rather than a horror movie. And in this one you hear, I mean, you can hear, you know, David Gordon Green, when he talks about it, he's like, um, this this is a fun little fact, right? So Carpenter, a big inspiration for Halloween from him, for him was what he saw as a kid seeing like scenes from the civil rights movement, seeing like all the, you know, atrocities happening to, you know, to protesters and stuff like that. And this movie, there's, you know, Halloween 78 drew a lot from that as far as like making the horror real and bringing it home. David Gordon Green was in 10th grade in the high school that Pearl Jam's Jeremy was written about. Oh, wow. So like the kid who the Jeremy who killed himself was David Gordon Green's classmate. That's and crazy. that was like the predecessor to the school shooting movement. Yeah. So I mean I hate to call it a movement, but it's unfortunate that it's like it's just become like a part of yeah. living in fucking America. Valid. So there's this very real world, very driven home horror that they are like adept like you know Carpenter went to a psych ward to do research for his Michael Myers. David Gordon Green went to death row and he's like, that's a great quote. I wish I knew it verbatim, but he's like, 
Death Row is not filled with giant monsters screaming at you. It's little guys in glasses who are studying you, and that's way creepier. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's really bringing it home. And then that's, that's what I love about, like, the character, you know, what the, what the origin of Michael Myers was before he turned into something else, which is what I think this yeah, movie like brings. big hulking Superman. Yeah, which is what I think they bring back in this movie. Um, that's why I like the brutality of him actually killing that kid. Um, Holy shit, dude. That's in my notes right here. Killing that kid is insanely brutal. Listen, I, I, I gauge a movie by how far they're willing to go. And, uh, I'll never forget, like, remember the movie, God bless America, Bobcat Goldwish. Yeah, this is probably the moment when I turn that movie off. I think I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> right? So they throw the baby up in the air, and I was like, holy shit. I'm like, you just shotgunned a baby in the air. I'm like, that's fucking, like, you really, like, you're you're going for it. Um, yeah, and, and they drag it out like the kid is slowly walking around. He encounters the cop. He encounters the doctor in the overturned bus. He gets all the way back to the car, and then, like, Michael doesn't stab him. Michael just crushes, crushes his him, fucking yeah. head and we watch him do it. It's it it makes it real and frightening. It's like, you know, you watch slasher movies, they tell you like, okay, this smokes a, this guy smokes a joint, he's going to get killed. These two people have sex, they're going to get killed. This is like this is what the real fear of Halloween 78 was and what's been missing from so many others is that like there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no, it's just you are being victimized by an unstoppable force. And yeah. that's what's fucking terrifying. Yeah. And someone who they really made human again, you know, showing his, his, his scar, like, you know, a quick yeah. peek, peek of I it. I wanted to ask you about that, uh, how you felt about that. The, like if the you eye? were a fan of like the big, well, if you were more like, if you wanted to see a Michael that was like that super, strength michael like no. like the rob zombie giant no, no. fucking undertaker looked, michael or if you like to see him with a paunch belly and you could see the knife wound in his neck yes. from the knitting needle i like all that shit i love all that i love all that because yeah. it's it's still someone who you know it's 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 like a realistic thing it's like okay this yeah. this fucking doctor's a lunatic kind of i don't know exactly what he did but he you know sartan definitely made it so he can get out um, yeah. maybe it got a little out of hand, but he was like, fuck it. I'm going to ride with it anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's what he wanted. Like he's trying to feel like, well, you know, yeah, he's trying the to doctor see. kind of reveals who he's going to be later. Like we're, we're forced to question it at this point in the movie. Yeah. Cause you're, you're thinking for sure. Uh, but I like that. Like the, the Rob zombie one, yeah. like he looked like a wrestler or like he was in like slipknot. And I was just like, this is like, <laughs> with like the fucking, like. Like the 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 sound effects. I'm like, what is this? It just sounds yeah. like karate chopping. <laughs> he just breaks people. out some giant kettle drums and yeah. starts jumping around on them. You know, this is um, this is dark, and and I love it. And then he takes the car, and and, and he's gone. And then I guess yeah. what Hawkins is is the guy's name that the sheriff who comes, and I guess they kind of crowbarred him in like the the folklore where they were like. Um, because I guess like the, he was there that night or whatever. Yeah, because so I was watching it for the fifth time with my girlfriend and she's like, wait, she's like, why did they never mention like whatever? And I was like, oh, no, this is like a continuation from the first one. So he never even mm-hmm. got away. Like so basically Loomis shoots him. He falls and may, uh, I guess they made it seem like he maybe got a house or two away before they captured him. 
the original, they had an original beginning. Get this. I'm actually really glad it didn't happen. Oh, the, the it was, CGI. You know about this? Yeah, right? Well, the, the, the original beginning to this movie was they were going to retcon completely yes. the ending of Halloween 78, and Loomis was going to get strangled to death, and oh. Laurie was going to shoot Michael. Okay, but I didn't Carpenter. Yeah. Carpenter was like, don't do that, right? Yeah, yeah. they went so fast. Thank God, because that would have been. <laughs> I, I'm, I, Carpenter's, Carpenter's the best. No way. Yeah, Carpenter. That's like, yo, David Gordon Green, you do not have to fucking show us your dick and balls yeah. like that quickly into this movie. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Carpenter was like, don't do not do that. I forget the, the actual yeah. like phrase, but he was like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know? They like went so far as like they built a set for it. Like it was going to happen. It was going to happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad it did. But like, thankfully, they didn't, and they gave us like a human Michael, like you know, because what was what's you know, Super Predator Michael? Yeah, he's scary. He can fuck you up, but it's not this Michael Myers. It's not about his strength or even like his desire. It's just the fact that he's like you said, like willing to go there. Like we're not afraid of him because you know people can overpower him. He's just a guy. Like we see that you know countless times in the movie. But it's like he's willing to just. He, there's no forethought, and that's what's scary. Like, he'll just grab a kid and mush his fucking head. Like, his willingness is what we're afraid of. His willingness to kill, not his ability to do it. Um. All right, so now now he's he's out and about, you know, and uh, everyone's figuring out their, you know, the, the, they're like, holy shit, they're like 40 years later, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the people, you know, the, the escapee is Michael Myers. And like that yeah. random black dude in the cowboy hat, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's like. See, now, 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 now we're getting to my answer to my previous question. I wish that fucking guy was Danny McBride. Oh, yeah. Okay, that you know what? I wish that fucking guy was Danny McBride because not only do I feel like he could have really inhabited that character and he was like just a little bit more than a cameo, but this first exchange he has with Hawkins, I really don't get how this actor portrayed this character. He's like, right? holy shit, Michael Myers has escaped. And then within one exchange, he's laughing and go, oh, what are we going to change Halloween? I'm like, are you, are you a fucking psychopath? Yeah. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you stop on a dime like that? Yeah, like he was like, he was acting like he was in the movie Gummo. I was just like, uh, I don't know what, like, I'm like, are you for real? Premier are, Gummo expert, Sam. Are you for real? Are you joking with me? Like, it was just like, so I like, I couldn't tell if he was doing like shtick. Um, yeah. but yes, but that would have been funny. Cause I feel like, I feel like in some ways it was Danny McBride, you know? Right. Like in the, in the cowboy hat, you know, the, he doesn't really know how to act. He's like the mayor in Jaws, you know? And there's like, you know, Michael Myers, is, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's a Jaws analog, you know? How about- Jaws is just a shark. Like you could kill a fucking shark, but it's big and it's going to come after you and it's not going to be thinking about anything. And, and that's what's fucking scary about it. How about that scene with Sartan when when they when they get him, <laughs> and I think it was the black dude in the cowboy hat. He was like, "All right, just sit still," or something like that. And oh yeah, he was just like, "I've been sitting. <laughs> I am sitting still. I am sitting still. Why would I?" Not? And yeah. but it, who wrote that? It wasn't that like the weirdest yeah. thing. Like was that like very weird? I'm like, is this like his Jackie Mason impersonation or something? <laughs> is this like chick like the chicken suit fucking? <laughs> 
Or would yeah, it? is this going to suddenly become like a two-hander odd couple comedy between these two clowns? Yeah, it was so weird. But um, all right. Yeah, so I'm gonna, very weird. So at this point, um, you're sitting in the movie theater, right? Like, yeah, I, we're, we're probably at like the 40-minute mark. Um, how are you feeling so far? So far, I am... I At this point in the movie, I definitely have more questions than answers. Like... Okay. There's a lot of once again, like I very quickly uh, identified with a lot of the subtext that they were trying to bring out of this movie. That they were like, "This is about Laurie's trauma. This is a Strode family drama thriller, not a Michael Myers horror slasher movie." You know, and it's it's also like it's seeking to redefine the gender norms of a. French, uh, not a franchise, but like an entire genre that relies very heavily on gender tropes and stereotypes and like, you know, the occasional brutalization of women. But like this, you know, idea of the final girl as well. So it's always been so confusing. And this is this is really setting up to like seeing what the strengths of Halloween 78 were where, you know, none of the girls in that original movie were identified as virginal. It was just what we what we gleaned from their characters because their characters were treated with kindness and with care and we learned about them. They were personalities. They made sense so that when they got killed, we were afraid for them and we were afraid because we knew people like them. And then after that, it just became, you know, we, we, it, it, it was more about the killer. We were learning about Michael's bloodline and his this and that. Like, we're trying to, it, it's like he's the protagonist of this movie and the victims are just like so much fucking deli meat offered up for him to slice so that, you know, the audience bloodlust can be satiated. And, here and I mean, are, that, that's basically, yeah, that's basically with, with, with anything. Like, once you start getting into like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12. Like once you start getting into like that, those franchises with those numbers, it's mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, like uh, like Final Destination was cool. Like the first two, I was like, oh, it's cool. Yeah. And then after that, I'm like, oh, I'm just watching to see how everyone dies. You know. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like every time a new one of those or like a new saw was coming out, I was just always surprised. Like, oh, they're up to this number already. Like it's it's always a surprise. I got. I got to tell you, I I love Saw. There's something about I. Every Halloween I was there, and somehow these guys that never came in. So it was never written to go that far. But every year before Halloween, uh, like on Halloween, you know, whatever twelve months they had to basically extend the story to see how long they could keep it. Yeah. And I'm thinking like. You guys definitely somehow managed to keep, you know, everyone employed for eight years with all these stories. And there was, um, there was actually, yeah, there was actually, I I think it was four and five, if I remember correctly, um, that went on at the same time. And I thought that was a really cool twist. So So at the end of five, interesting things. Yeah, at the end of five, like you see that it crossed over, like you see the end of four again, but like from a different angle. And I was like, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like, never I've never saw seen that any before. Of the, thought, the Saw movies after the first one, right? I never saw any of the ones after that. And then, you know, I was a big fan of of this last uh, Watchmen miniseries on HBO so much so that I was. Oh yeah, to the, I, I heard uh, it's great. I, I loved it. I, just, I mean, it was 
aimed directly at me. But um, they. What about love? Oh, go ahead. Um. So so they had a companion podcast where you know Damon Lindelof, who's you know we all know that this guy has created some you know divisive but you know very relatively <laughs> important content. And for sure, he's talking about Watchmen, which is like he, you know, it's this prestige piece, like it's this very highbrow adaptation of of this beloved IP. And on, I forget what episode, and I forget what element of Watchmen he was talking about, but he's like, yeah, I basically applied the, and I do this in a lot of my work where um, I applied the Saw Two scenario, and I'm like, okay, what the fuck road are we about to go down? <laughs> And a, yeah, me too. Apparently, like I in Saw Two, it's somebody like a protagonist is trying to find somebody or save somebody who's been like kidnapped, is being held prisoner, and it turns out the whole time that they were in a box next to that protagonist. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, you know, you'd be one now that you know that you can pick through a lot of my most celebrated work and see that I'm just like dropping a Saw Two in there." That's crazy. Yeah. That's. That's fucking crazy. But it's like yeah, these are these movies cool. that rely very heavily on these devices. It's like a lot of times you get this out of Stephen King adaptations where it's like you have this interesting thing that you want to accomplish and the movie is just or the story is just reverse engineering events to lead you to that, you know, eventuality. Moving along with the movie, I'm going to say um, the podcasters really found their demise quicker than I thought they were going <laughs> to. I thought they were going to be a, a, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, part of the story <laughs> um, until they get to the gas station. And I'm thinking, like, I think I kind of remember this from the trailer and it played out. And uh, that's another one of my favorite scenes. Like, there's. Um, you know, they show up and, uh, you know, the, the female goes to the bathroom and then from there it just takes off, man. Another thing um, from H2O where, like, you know, we encounter Michael in a public bathroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what my um, my girlfriend said that. She's like, didn't this happen in H2O? I was <laughs> like, yes, it did. And also in Halloween 4, um, there was kind of like that where he, like, kills the mechanic and takes his, um, um, his like, outfit. And dude, how um, great was that? Like Michael in the background of those shots. Like, what a fucking brilliant way to photograph that it's scene. Fucking great. Like he's just out of focus in the back, but you just see him in that white hospital just walk right in, and then you see him just demolishing the guy in the fucking garage. It's so scary. It's so. It's like this is what every like Michael Bay horror movie got wrong. Like. That is what's oh. fucking scary. Jesus Christ. They sure did. <laughs> yeah, well, one um, of the and, things, and I you, guess you, I should say. And you see, like, the jaw of the guy ripped Wolf. off, which makes sense because when he gets to the, the, the bathroom stall, one of, like, my favorite scenes yeah. is when he, like, reaches over when she's like, someone's in here, and he throws the teeth on the floor. And I'm thinking, like, that's just vicious. That was, like, that's the first scene of the first trailer that I saw. And I was yeah. like, whoa. And, yeah, it, I mean, it, it it's brilliantly done. Holy shit. Like, and you, you're in that girl's shoes in that moment. You're in her fucking, you know, you're, you're, you're in her pulled down panties on the toilet at that moment. Like, you're sitting well, there she and sat there's down. a hand just dropping bloody teeth on the floor in front of bloody you. Bloody teeth. Holy fuck. <laughs> you have nowhere to go. And, yeah. and I thought to myself, this is, 
that like you know moments like this bring you back to like being like terrified you're like where were some of these sequels really missed and they're cartoonish and it's like all right i'm gonna do this and that this was just um it took its time you know it was like uh, very deliberate and mean-spirited but it, it just it, it didn't feel rushed like everything that he did um, was like true to form, mm-hmm. and then the male po- po- podcaster comes in. I'm thinking like, wait, how are these? How are they going to get out of this? Because I figured that they were somehow <laughs> going to be involved in the story. Well, they were going to have to and, persevere at some point. <laughs> yeah, at some point, and and you know they're kind of like the Pandora's box that they opened came back to bite them. You mm-hmm. know. Um, well, it's interesting what happens with the podcasters like role in the story not necessarily like them as characters themselves because you have you know there's always these questions about what kind of killer michael is and again this is a movie that comes out during like you know once again we can assume that this is like a true crime conscious audience it's a it's a phenomenon these days you know true crime and um so the struggle for so many to define Michael as a killer. Like, oh, they keep calling him a serial killer. But I feel like in this movie, they make these very little decisions to show that he's a serial killer. He's also a spree killer. He's also a random killer. He also kills people he knows. He makes choices about who to kill and who not to kill. If he was just a blind force stabbing whoever's in his way, he didn't have to go find the podcasters. He wanted to. He chose to go yeah. locate them. Maybe it's just because they had his mask. Maybe it's that and something else. But like they were targeted by him. And part of the fascination, you know, part of the the the, the role that the podcasters are playing is like they're representing a part of like the public. They're like they're sympathizing with the killer. They're using Lori as a prop, like the victim blaming, gaslighting, you know, poking holes in a woman's narrative for like the, the trauma that she's had to endure, negging her about the after effects, like, oh, you're you're you have had failed marriages, drug problems. Like they might as well just be saying, like, what were you wearing that night with Michael? Like you were asking for it, <laughs> you know? But yeah. yet they want to get br- inside bring- Michael's head and they want to understand him. He's a puzzle that they want to figure out, you know? And then he shows up yeah. and it's like, here's a handful of teeth. Hey guy, here's your face meeting the wall. That's the end of your fucking education. Yeah. And like, yeah, and and it, no, when you break it down like that, it, it's it's very um, satisfying, you know, because they they did bring up all that stuff, you know, the drug addiction, like the failed marriages, all that stuff, and uh, you know, after watching it so many times, um, you know, you're like, okay, th- this is the ball you started rolling, and uh, yeah. you got involved, and this and, is what uh, happens you know. when you're trying to understand this ununderstandable violence when you know instead what you should be doing is focusing on like the, the the victims and their narratives and what they have to say and like that's where you can really get insight but what you want to do is you want to be the man that cracks michael myers and figures it out like what i mean what i meant earlier about the role that the podcasters were playing i think that like the role that they were playing in the story as this kind of metaphor for, you know, the, the desire to figure out Michael so that you could feel like above him, like you, you figured him out or whatever. 
I feel like that gets overtaken by the doctor's evolution. He's the natural story predecessor. Once the the podcasters are dispatched of, yeah. now we're suddenly getting sure. like, oh, well, here's the medical scientific side of this same kind of attention where it's like, I'm not... I'm willing to use the victim as a prop. I'm willing to literally point Michael like a cannon in her direction yeah. just so that I could figure out what makes him tick. And the doctor, I'm just going to come right out and say a big thing that I've had to say a lot of times because I know the doctor is kind of hard to stomach in a lot of ways. And I just fucking put it down like this. All right. We're talking about a movie redefining sexual dynamics. Michael Myers fucks. Okay. He's he is fuck energy. That dude penetrates people. The doctor, he, he can't fuck. He wants to be Michael. He wants to fuck. Yes. He wants to <laughs> feel it. You hear him say it. I want to feel what Michael feels. The podcaster wants to understand Michael's mind. But the doctor, who's been you know, essentially given the role of monitoring this guy's mind, who went to medical school, who did all of the due diligence scientifically, he just wants to fuck like Michael. And that's why he needs to be there, man. That's why. Because when he confronts Michael, Michael just does the same thing to him that he does with the podcasters. And you'll notice that right before Dr. Sartain dies, what does he say? He says, say something. Who else says that? The fucking male podcaster. Yeah. They are analogs of the same interest. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I missed that. Oh, so he said It's that? right before the cold open. He's holding the mask up, up to Michael and he's say going, something. say something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I thought you meant in the bathroom. No, yes. You meant Not right before he dies, but he's the other character who says it. They, they are analogs of the same thing where this movie isn't just about the trauma that women inherit in society. It's also about the absence of guidance for masculinity and how toxicity and patriarchy victimizes men in a different way. And just as essentially doing what the doctor's doing, like Michael Myers is that fucking penetrative predatory lizard brain bullshit. And here's these two guys who think that they have, you know, it figured out like they want to, you know, inhabit that it's, it's, fucking brilliant man it really it's, is and what i what what i love about it um too it's it's such an antithesis antithesis of what zombie did with his movies totally. which were the two prior 100%. two prior ones where it's like oh it's like my mom was a stripper this and that and i'm thinking like yo i'm like i never i never want to know more about motive i never want to know less about motives than in this case <laughs> like every everything everything that you're telling me i like please stop i don't care just just <laughs> Take the movie from when he's like twenty one and escapes. I, I don't I don't ever want to yeah. hear about a stripper mom. And then you get something like this where it's like this is who he is. He's pure evil, yeah. and that's why Loomis wanted to get rid of him because no matter which way you think you're gonna beat him mentally or you're gonna somewhat crack the code that is Michael Myers, you're not. Yeah, because there um, is no code. You're trying to understand it with this criteria that you've created, when in fact it's it's something beyond your understanding. It's like the same reason why people try to, you know, create entire religions to try and justify what happens after you die. Cause you can't explain it. You don't know. There's no basis for it. Nothing in your human understanding could prepare you for this. And you're approaching it with that kind of limited focus. 
And that's what is ultimately your complete undoing. Um, all right. So I want to talk about like a couple other things, you know, just to wrap up here. Um, another favorite scene of mine is when he's let out into the streets. Like the, okay. the, the tracking shot, like where he's just going from house yeah, to house. Yeah, the tracking shot Ooh. is so fucking cool because you're like, okay, this is like, you. it just follows him and like it's Halloween so he doesn't look out of place whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you even you know, hear he that goes, like couple having that like argument about like, oh, did you leave your keys in the car while he's just walking past them? Yeah, just walking past them, doing his thing, um, grabbing knives, fucking just like killing people, um, which I feel like that was like a, a, a part two. Like, a, you know, there was like a lady with rollers in part two, if I remember. Oh, shit. So there was like a couple. Right. Yeah, there was like a, a nod to that. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, the other girl, like, so in two, where. Um, the girl was talking to a friend and I guess they were like, she was telling her that like, you know, somebody killed these people and escaped and he's still in like the neighborhood, which is kind of what happened with my favorite kill was um, when he, he goes uh, into the house and the girl's closing the blinds oh, and she's yeah. looking out the window yep. because that's like brutal. Like, yep. and she's like hanging up. She's like, Oh my God, really? And then she hangs up and then that's when she starts looking out the window because I guess she she found out that you know I, I guess he he escaped and all this other shit, and the the knife right through the throat yeah. as he yanked her hair was just while just she, br- brutal. While she makes the very first movement of trying to protect herself from the information that she just got, like yeah 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 she she's like oh let me just close this up right here and like the um, it also includes one of the most puzzling elements which is Michael's deliberate choice not to kill the baby. The baby, yeah. Because he kills so the kid. We to... saw him kill that boy earlier. And before we dig in on that, the scene was originally written where there was no baby. The living room was going to have a husband character that Michael was going to kill. And that actor just didn't show on that day. So they put a crib <laughs> in there, like, on the fly. And something tells me, like, okay, I, I strike that. Nothing tells me this. I just want to believe it. When he chooses to acknowledge that baby and just keep walking, there was part of this tracking shot where I thought like there was a meta kind of element where he's like, all right, guys, you want a body count? Like here, we're going to add some numbers to the body count. You sick fucks watching this movie. And when he doesn't kill the baby, something in my head wants to believe that that's them saying, yeah, we know there's going to be a lot of you haters out there bitching and crying about stuff, but you're not even worth stabbing. Yeah, you know, because if he would have done it, I, I would have been like all bets are off. Because I mean, he did kill that kid, yeah. but the kid was just kind of maybe like a teenager. Um, there was something know, about like maybe the only other thought I had was like, okay, well maybe Michael remembers like maybe the moment when he killed Judith was indeed a turning point moment for him instead of a build up, and like Michael remembers being an innocent baby, but he doesn't have a point of reference for being as old as that kid was. Yeah. You know, but it's 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 like to know that it just happened on the fly was a great relief that I didn't have to continue trying to decipher why that choice was made. For sure. And 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 I like the fact that the baby didn't even need to be there. Yeah. It was just this this point in the movie where they were just like let's throw this in here 
to make them feel like the audience feel something mm -hmm. and then have him just walk right by. Yeah, it just creates more questions. It's just them going like all yeah. of you trying to understand why Michael's doing these things. All you franchise devotees who like followed every sequel trying to spell him out. You can't do it. Stop trying. Like you, there's nothing uh, to figure out. What do we think of the scene with the uh, the blonde babysitter and the little black kid that was kind of like the comic relief? I'm glad we're moving ahead to that. <laughs> okay, are, are we uh like are are we okay with with him because he he was still naturally? I I love Julian. I love that kid. Okay, yeah, he was funny. He was like um, he was fucking great. Yeah, he was like um like it wasn't too much, like it was just on that line, um. And the whole scene was great, man. Like he, uh, you know, like <laughs> he's just like I don't know what Alakavam is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sitting there, and he was just <laughs> like, "You're gonna come over and smoke some weed while I'm clipping my nasty ass toenails." <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking like, like of all things to make him do during the movie, it's like, all right, you sit here, you clip your toenails, and she's gonna be on the phone and watch Repo Man. They're watching Repo Man. Oh, I missed that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And he's like complaining about her letting him stay up. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. Oh, that's so great. Um, I love that kid, not just for the comic relief, because I do realize like it's a hard, one of the hardest things I had to kind of figure out in this movie was his reaction to Michael popping out of the closet where he's just like, oh shit. I'm like, eh, like, but then I had to kind of walk it back and be like, that is kind of like a realistic reaction yeah, that a kid would have. I'm you know? I'm I'm kind of with you on that too because you don't know what's going on. You're like, I mean, how old? Yeah. Could, he's maybe like five, six, seven, six probably. Yeah. Um, and he's probably like, and it's like a satisfying movie choice for him to maybe have been like Vicky, no, but like in reality, that's not what would happen. And we also see like from their exchange when Vicky goes to look. And like puts him to bed originally that like he really cares for her. Like, yeah. And he has to watch her die. Like that horror is, you know, so... who cares for her too? you. Cause you, rem oh. you remember her name and I, I'm just saying blonde girl and little black kid. Like that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my IMDb. Um, but yeah, it just, that was a, a great effective scene. Like, you know, he's in the house, you don't know where, and then he was like, oh, can you just close the closet? And you're just like, uh, okay. I'm, I mean, and then this is the point in the movie where I have to bring our attention to the real villain of this movie, which is whoever cut the trailer. trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. If that closet moment happened without it being in the trailer, think about how fucking, I, know. I would have shit myself. I know. I know what what it it, what it. is the point of that? Like who? So stupid. What is the point of that? Honestly, like how do you? Because it's like you're not rolling people into seeing this movie. It's Halloween. You're gonna have people are coming. You know, yeah. like what what would be like? I like I would love to talk to the the people in charge of making that trailer and be like, you're giving away one of the biggest. Like, is there a bigger? I mean, I guess, I'm sure there is a bigger scare, a jump scare, but like that has to be the second, if not third. Yeah, like but, I mean, I can't, I can't give you any one bigger than that because the fact that like the closet doesn't close at first yeah. and then he just pops out after that, like yo, that would have fucking killed me. And 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 you, you and we also like it also demolishes something we were talking about last night, where like 
some of the more effective use of fan service where like, you know, Julian's afraid of the closet, which is like the closet is a very important set piece to the Halloween franchise. And also Vicky goes outside and we were talking about this last night where there's the clothesline full of sheets to where all of us that have seen Halloween six are now subconsciously wondering (laughs) if Michael's not in the closet, if he's going to come through those sheets. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of that. And and I never I I love and the mom from Better him. Off Dead. <laughs> yeah. Up in there. But yeah, him killing Vicky was rough. I love how they um flipped the virgin angle and made the dude like basically the bob of this movie was the virgin and he was, you know, really sweet about it and he got the tattoo and like you know this is the night we're going to remember for the rest of our lives like once again like them just turning the gender roles in such a non like forced way in just such a natural oh, no, yeah, kind that, of yeah this is the way it would be that that was natural uh, i mean and 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 honestly like did you listen to a podcast with them explaining this or do you feel like this is what they were trying to do like in general, I mean, when it. I f- when I saw the first movie, the, not the first movie, when I saw this movie for the first time, that is what jumped out at me above all else was what they were doing with redefining the sexual dynamics of these movies and how they were using the power of the current culture, like calling attention to these things at that moment, like you know. I'm not like a political guy, but like I learned a lot from like all the the Me Too movement and how powerful some of those things were. And there's a lot of that in this movie without it feeling forced. It's like they Yeah. It's it's like this Halloween seventy eight and Halloween twenty twenty eighteen, how I said they kind of bookended the genre where it's like Halloween seventy eight was so lightning in a bottle and it was so about like a group of people that knew each other and like gave a shit about their characters. And then after that it became exploited and suddenly, you know, we're like a big part of it is that like we're always kind of following the male narrative, you know, like that's the story we're we're following, you know? And this one, it's like we're getting a piece of everybody, of how this affects everyone, about how it's real people. Like Cameron by Hollow Cameron was a uh, Allison's boyfriend. Yeah. By all horror by all horror movie rules, that guy should have died. For and sure. And they did that on yeah. purpose, I believe. They yeah. made him an asshole. He was drunk. He was high. He kissed another girl. All the things that would have dictated he was gonna die. I mean and he it, didn't. In all fairness, she was definitely hotter than Allison, but I mean I guess that's just <laughs> that's just uh my problem. But uh It's y- a per- it's personal. You're yeah. you're right. You're totally right by all <laughs> Like really, and even this girl—they hit every one, every even, note. Even even Vicky, the blonde girl. Um, you kind of almost automatically like you love their relationship, even though you only get it for like ten minutes. That you're yeah. like, oh, okay, this girl's gonna survive somehow, and she does. And you're like, she wait, doesn't? How the and f- she talks about smoking weed, like which is a thing that would kill you, yeah. but it's also a thing that like she shares with this kid, and they have a laugh over. It's like. This is real. This is real people. This is, there's been 40 years in between Michael's fucking two sprees. And this is what has happened to this town and these people. Like you have that scene with the two cops, which I love so much. What, and the, spoiler alert, the those sandwich. Cops, 
those cops might be my favorite kill, even though it happens off screen, because like that brings us back to playful Michael and the way they have he took that one cop's fucking head off and had the other cop hold the flashlight into it was and how Ray is just looking in the cops car's window and just like hey you guys in there yeah what the (laughs) yeah totally i'm like i'm like all right you know what now you now you need to die right just that was hard Uh, but yeah they do this this exchange with this bon me sandwich and like how he knows what his partner's gonna eat it's like this is showing you that like like Rob Zombie's Haddonfield is disgusting everybody's cruel everybody's horrible and like once again, Rob Zombie is is in his movies is failing in a way that this movie is pointing out, where it's like, oh, he's explaining sad Michael and how he was motivated to do these things. It's like, no, oh, you're sympathizing with the wrong fucking person because you're corrupted by the same things that have been exploited th- throughout all these years of these stories being told. And here's these two cops kind of showing you like Hanfield's this like leave it to beavery kind of town where everybody knows each other and everybody's sweet and kind to each other. And Michael Myers is this outlier force. You know, the Michael Myers and Rob Zombie's Haddonfield, he was right at home. He fucking belonged there in that awful fucking place with those awful people. This is like Michael Myers is in a town that is not equipped emotionally to deal with that kind of fucking trauma. You know, and he is the fucking trauma bomb being dropped on that town. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that that's a funny way to put it, to leave it to Beaver, because that conversation with the bomb sandwich, you're just like, you're sitting there and you're just like, this is su- such a like candid moment. Yeah. Um, and it's actually funny. Like, it's, I remember it being cornier than it was. Like, I, I watched it this time and I'm like, oh, no, this is legit funny. Well, like I told you, you know, the fifth time I watched it just... Um, recently so we could do this podcast and it might have been my favorite of the, of the times and my girlfriend and I watched it in the theaters she didn't really like it and then the second time around she's like oh you know she likes it more this time and I, I don't know why maybe just connected more with her but um, I, I just feel like it's uh, it's a great movie and obviously why this we, movie has <laughs> why we're talking uh, about it <laughs> like re- this is one of those movies that rewards watching it multiple times yeah. because the first time you watch it it's almost, I mean, I had that, I was feeling very overwhelmed to the point where the only thing that kind of really jumped out at me, other than just how well photographed and how well, you know, character driven the movie was, was all these subtextual elements. Like I was just getting blown away minute by minute by all of these, you know, things that they were exposing. But like this movie is dense. There's so much character stuff. There's so much subtext stuff. There's so much, uh, I mean, the first time you watch it, it's like overwhelming. Like you can't take it all in. Well, you also, have to uh, watch it a few times. Also, because you're not expecting it from from uh, you know the sequels. You know, you're just thinking like, okay, this is a Halloween movie, and then from yeah. there, once you watch it a few more times, you're like the layers. And and everyone, now that I think about it, like everyone that you think is going to survive, because then that brings us to 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 when the sheriff and and Sartan meet up and they they pick up Allison and they're oh, they're shit. bringing her. This is like where the twist is bringing her over to uh, Laurie's house, um, and you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, this is the good guy. He's going to help Laurie, and somehow this is just going to work out. Uh, then they find Michael, and they run him over. Well, he runs him over, but then Sartan... Such a great moment. Sartan, like, loses his fucking mind, and... Uh, 
so that was the twist where he just basically stabs Hawkins. Um, and uh, from there, everyone's like, what the fuck happened? Right. So this is what I thought. I was watching in the theater going like, OK, that's weird. Then he I know that's a moment that a lot of people had trouble digesting. Yes. So I'm sitting there watching it and then he puts on the mask and I'm thinking like, you know what? <laughs> I'm like, maybe they killed Michael and Sartan is just going to continue to try to kill Laurie in the, oh, wow. in the mask. Interesting. Yeah. So that's like he's inhabiting Michael finally yeah. just by putting the mask they, on. Because they just like fucking ran Michael over and they killed him and, and like he's just like, um, you know, and, and then that's not what happened. <laughs> but, you know. Well, the the beauty of Hawkins, like that character, because I'm like, you know, here's this character who you pointed it out before, like he gets very little exposition. Like we what we know about him is from canon more than this movie. Yes. But like. You know, we're confronted with a lot of 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 moments where we learn from the doctor and the podcasters, these people trying to understand Michael. However, Hawkins is the only guy that seems to realize he's got like the Nancy in Nightmare gene where she's just like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? We just have to kill him. Like, yeah. why are you what are you what are you wasting time? He sees Michael. He realizes that Michael is not to be understood. He's not to be figured out. You're not going to get any satisfaction. You just got to fucking end the guy. That's it. And then, you know, when I bring up about, you know, Sartain being like, you know, the basic, you know, the analog to erectile dysfunction, which he is in this movie. I don't think it's any coincidence that he stabs Hawkins with that tiny little knife. Why? Explain that to me, sorry. It's a dick thing, man. Oh, it's a dick? <laughs> Sartain can't fuck. Sartain can't fuck. Oh, Michael so- Myers fucks. Sartain wants to fuck. He's so- tired of studying fucking. He wants to do the fucking. Which is the the part of the plot where I was like, oh, I like this. Like, that's why he released him. He wants to see him in the wild. He yeah. wants to see him do this thing. And that he is- aimed him at Laurie. Yeah, we that's don't like- know. We'll it- never know if he wanted to kill Laurie or not because Dr. Sartain, so much of him getting to Haddonfield relied on the, the decisions that Sartain made. Yeah. And and I think he, I think that's he's a weapon that he aimed at her. And I think that's the most effective part for me as far as the story goes. Like it makes it the most compelling, where it's like this person made this happen, yes. and and it's super diabolical, which is what made the next scene really weird. Which is like that twist happened, and Sartan died. Like I don't know, two minutes later or something. I'm just like, there's a cool anecdote that Danny McBride reveals. Okay, because I was just like, like uh, okay, I guess that was weird. <laughs> well, it's like we finally learn what Sartain's all about. Like yeah. I realized, like you know, he could like it was. It was perfect for me that he died in that moment because I was so steeped again in like these this, this these metaphorical elements that once like Sartain kind of revealed what his purpose was in the movie he wasn't really so necessary after that and they uh you know danny mcbride's talking about you know the script process and he's like you know we're we're going back and forth with how we're dealing with the doctor and what we're gonna do and there was just one part you know they're like we changed that scene so many different ways so many different times but there was one piece of stage direction that never changed and it said michael brings boot down on dr sartain's head brains shit out yeah <laughs> and i'm like yo that's true his brains fucking shit it out yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's no coincidence again if you're looking at this from a metaphorical perspective it's like this whole movie is people men really trying to understand michael 
And the whole point is that Michael is not to be understood. Not to be understood. Sartain yeah. tried to intellectualize yeah. Michael, so his brains got shitted out. Wow. You know, like it was it, it, Michael Myers is a fucking Jaws. You know, there's, you know, Dave, uh, the, the, the Vicky's boyfriend has that great moment where he makes the story real by saying like, yeah, but you know, he killed five people like 20 years ago. Like yes. way worse things are happening. I was like, that is a great fucking Yo, choice. To I make. fucking told, I have that in my notes because when that happened, I actually turned to my girlfriend. I was like, you know what? He's right. I'm like, I don't know. It's totally. like, it's like, yeah, he killed five people forty years ago. Like, I don't know, and he and, like, and he got arrested, them, yeah, <laughs> and he got arrested, and, and she went away. Them. Like he he doesn't have like John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer are real, yeah. and they did way worse than Michael Myers did. And like, there's something about not only him pointing that out that like tells you that like. The only note I have written in capitals on my notes for this movie is everybody who like shitted on this movie and didn't get it must have had a real enviable childhood because it's like this movie is for fucking trauma survivors. You know, oh, if you had yeah. a fucking good life, like I kind of understand if you didn't have a fucked up childhood, maybe I get why you didn't like this movie. But like the fact that he Dave's character so adequately, so grounds the 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 context of the killing he's basically saying like why are we so obsessed with these things why do we follow them over years why are you still precious about what happens to michael myers a killer from 1978 and the fact that he contextualized it with real world events is another just brilliant piece of david gordon green bringing this story into a real inhabitable town like you're really like it's there you live there like and every sequel failed at that uh, pretty much um yeah. all right so then that, that brings us to the house um how did the house how did we like the ending like as far as like um what went down with the um you know the the i, I mean listen so you know uh, the 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 movable thing that led to the basement. Um, so they go down there, which which then brings us to the trailer, which is like when Laurie is like she sticks her head by the door, and I'm thinking like there's nothing but glass here. What's going on? Like <laughs> of all things, right? But I'm like, all right, yeah, whatever. So he he breaks, and and this this is like their 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 first time that they break physical. Um, then he gets in the house, and then from there, what I really like is just how serious this was. So she was like very tactical. Like she went into every room, checked it, and if he wasn't there, that's when the that the the uh, cage went down. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, fuck. I'm like, so she's Brilliant. she's kind of like just really uh, minimizing the spots where he could be. And just like kind of getting him in there, and I'm thinking like, why don't you just like do the trap where where you think he is, and just fucking like blow the yeah. blow the house? Why up? draw it out? Um, but yeah, well, this had so many layers to me. This ending was like all over the place. I mean, so good. Yeah, it, it was like the first thing that stood out is that you know this whole movie we've been watching how she's prepared, and when Michael shows up, all that prep until all three of the women are in place to make this trap kind of set off all of the prep that she has doesn't really work. Michael gets in, Michael gets a hold of her right away. Like yeah. Michael winds up eluding her and evading her, throwing like her out of all window. the, yeah, all of the prep that you 
do in the world, uh, so much of what Karen and Lori's characters are struggling with is control and not feeling control and being afraid that something could happen to them that's beyond their control. But Michael showing up, it's like there's no amount of prep you can do. And there's all this, um, you know, there were a lot of reactions to Lori as a character. People, oh, she's badass. She's badass. And I like almost immediately resented that identification of her because Laurie is very much not a badass. She is not like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 doing like one-handed fucking pull-ups in an insane asylum for a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's scared, she's desperate. She's tr- she's grasping at straws. She's living in fear. And what we learn from that house in this beautiful moment where she's holding Karen by the head as Karen's finally like accepting what her, you know, having that big breakthrough of like, this is my mother just wanted to protect me and like having this and, 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 and Lori's holding her by the head and it pans over to the dollhouse on the floor. And I'm like, holy shit, Lori is living in a Michael Myers trap. Like the house that she has fortified in and lived in for 40 years is a trap for Michael Myers. Like the psychological implications of that. She's basically just set up a mousetrap and then put a fucking pillow on it and went to bed herself. That is so just like gut wrenching to me. That idea that it's like where I live, where I lay my head is just a fucking lobster trap waiting for somebody else. And, and uh, so the other, the other thing that really worked for me was, you know, when Karen looks over at her KS rifle and uh, oh, right before, right before, like, because uh, I'm thinking, like, why are they making so much fucking noise? And then the fucking Michael's like ripping that fucking, uh, you know, that island thing off to get downstairs. And Karen's like, oh, my God, Mom, I can't do this. And I'm thinking, like, oh, Jesus Christ. And just that fake out was so effective because to me, I'm thinking, like, yeah holy shit, you guys really, like, planned this so well. Um, and it just worked, you know? Like, he, they he fucking they shoot him when she, like, fucking got, you know, got him to, to show himself, and then they uh, he lands down there, and, I don't know, it just worked. When I see the lever go, it and, and so it turned... It was so fucking effective. Once yeah. again, like you said, Judy Greer's performance she made was it that good. Yeah. And that she does that... When she says gotcha, like when she has that amazing moment, like one of the top five moments in this fucking movie, she's yelling to her mother, I can't do it. I yeah. can't do it. She's like, you know, we're, we we're all believe supposed it. to believe that this is the Karen who thinks there's peace and love in the world and blah, blah, blah. And we see that like Karen and Lori have been preparing for this moment, right, to get Michael, but... All of that control, all of that planning isn't what gets Michael because Lori and Karen are struggling. Michael's got Karen by the leg. They can't shut the door. It's not until Allison, the the granddaughter, the third generation affected by this trauma, the only one who's not trying to control it, who's not trying to exert herself on top of this trauma, who's not saying, hey, you need to deal with it this way. You need to cope with it this way. She's living with it. She's being the parent to her mother and her grandmother. And what does she do? She sees a fucking knife. And she fucking stabs him. She basically Hawkinses him. Yeah. This, these are the two characters that understand that like there is no amount of intellectualizing that will allow you to plan for what this fucking 
unstoppable fucking force is going to do. And it's like, while they're struggling, Andy just, uh, Andy, that's a real name. Allison just takes that knife, fucking drives it down, and then boom, trap shuts. Trap it's shuts. Like the three generations, you needed three generations of Strode women to come together to make that trap work. Because even the two of them that set it up, it, it would have failed if, if Allison wasn't there. Allison, who we're seeing that moment after the motion light kill of the fat kid, which we just like breezed yes. right past. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which that, is such a fucking great moment. That's a great one. And also like provides like the same kind of thing I was talking about that fat kid before, where like all he, he he's he, he, you know, he likes this girl, but like like is such like a primitive kind of juvenile thing for him to think. And it's his friend's girlfriend. But as soon as she's not his friend's girlfriend, he's like trying to isolate her. He's trying to get her to an environment where she doesn't feel comfortable making her jump that fence. And he's like, oh, I thought I thought you liked it. It's like, oh, just because I'm not with him means that I'm going to be with you because you said something nice to me. But then we see him sitting there struggling with it, talking to a shadow that we know is Michael. And we know he doesn't know that. And he's like, I thought she liked me. I just wanted to have her. And he's using all of these kind of like, you know, kind of dude possessive words that are part of like this ancient zeitgeist that unfavors women. And then that use of motion light in his death was just Chef's kiss, dude. Chef's kiss on that one. <laughs> Chef's kiss. And then when she sees him on the fence and Michael walks out and there's just a fence in between them, I haven't even said the fact that I think this is John Carpenter's best score that he has ever done for any movie. When that chord comes in, that like, uh, when yeah. she, he steps out from behind the fence, it like my bones fucking chill. Yeah. And then she's running to her mother's house, to her grandmother's house. We're watching her run there and we know that Michael's already there. It's like there's something there that I haven't even yet kind of put together. There's something there about her running to that house while her mother and grandmother are already being brutalized and getting there in time to fucking make that fateful stab to make the trap work. Yeah, man. And like... I was just, I was I was just gonna say, now I feel like watching it all over again after this. <laughs> Me too, dude. I bought it on Amazon. I, I I'm, I'm gonna rewatch the shit out of it. And I know this was another divisive moment that I'm really interested to ask you about. Now that we've gotten to the end of the film, where there was a lot of people saying, "Wouldn't you stay there and watch him die?" Is that a feeling you had? No, I didn't have that at all. Um, right, neither did I. I. I heard that complaint from so many people. No, I mean, that, listen, you want another movie, and that's what we wanted. Yes, and uh, you know, I I never put two and two together that you see him, and then they pan somewhere, and then they go back to to the the fire, and he's not there. I didn't really think anything of it. I was just thinking like, oh, okay. I'm like, I guess this is it. But then, you know, later on, I find out that they were trying to put two movies. So, you, do you know yeah, that? There's you, the post credit scene, too. Yeah. So, um, like, uh, oh, at the post credit scene? I don't, what was that? Remind me. The post credit scene where, you know, when Michael Fritz gets the mask out of the podcaster's trunk is the first time we hear the breath, like the ADR Michael. Oh, okay. So then breath. it was the breath. And then after the post credits, you see the fire, but you hear Michael's breath. Right. So okay. It yeah. It could have even been added after the fact when they knew they were going to get a sequel. No, you're right. But yeah, there. it's interesting you come at it like that's 
and be like, oh, you know, they know they want to make another movie, so they can't stay there and watch Michael die. Well, I was coming from it with like a narrative standpoint where it's like, all right, this movie's been kind of grounded in some genuine realism. And like we I really examined this scene when rewatching it. You can't really tell if Lori's trying to stay and watch and the two girls are dragging her away or if they're all going away because Lori, they have to leave because not only is the building on fire, but Lori's injured. Like they need to bring her to a hospital. So she can't stay there and watch him die. But there's also this element of dealing with trauma where the trauma is there. He's trapped. He's on fire. He's looking at you. Maybe you don't, you know, the, the whole torture porn element of modern horror dictates to us, the viewer that like, we're not satisfied unless we all watch it happen, see the grisly fucking details. When in fact, this is a movie not about killing, which like a lot of the slasher movies are just about killing. It's about that trauma. And Lori's there. Her daughter had a breakthrough and they're closer. The daughter has agency. She's the one who made it happen. The mother is looking at the face of the thing that has destroyed her life, even though she was the only one left alive. And I feel like as a traumatized person, I could relate to this idea that Lori in her head is going, you know what? Like I've been looking at this guy in my nightmares for the last 40 years. Like just get me away. Yeah. I don't want to look at him. I I, I agree for sure. And, uh, but, um, I don't know if you know, you must know that, 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 that when they wrote it, they wanted to do, they wanted to release two movies like kind of in a row. Uh, but the studio that I did not know. Yeah. The studio was like, um, well, if the first one bombs, I don't want, we don't want to be tied to the second one because they didn't yeah. know what was going to happen because they wanted to do they wrote it as two movies. Um, so I, I don't really know huh, exactly. How, yeah. Yeah. So th- that that's why I, I feel like they knew that he was going to somehow get out of there, which is why that that quick shot of him not being there when the fire, went, you know, because first you see him and then you don't. Yeah, you know, so they which pro- is like, I mean, let's not pretend that's not also fan service to the end of the first one, and like, well, well done. Yeah, uh, but even the second one, like the end of Halloween too, like <laughs> he fucking went up in flames. Yeah, after being shot a million times. Well, one he of got my shot many in the problems with <laughs> Halloween too. Well, he got shot in the fucking both eyes, so he was blind. I'm just thinking like Halloween too. I remember hearing like an interview with Carpenter where he's like, "Yeah, man, I wrote that movie with one night and a six pack of beer," and I'm sitting there going like, "Yeah, man, it shows. You shouldn't be bragging about it." <laughs> well, because he he didn't want to do it. Like he didn't want to. He he wanted to. So he's like, nah, the movie's over. I just want to do, yeah. like, he wanted to do like uh, an anthology, like a different story every Halloween. They were like, no, we want the Michael Myers. So he's like, I'm not going to re- direct it, but I'll write it. Uh, and yeah, then, like and they, then, they yeah, slave so, to the producers at that point. And then at that point, he was just like, you know what? He's like, fuck it. I'll just light him on fire. Uh, no, he's like, I'll blow him up. That way they can't bring well, him. Well, there's this. There's this, uh, you know, I don't know if you're a premium Stitcher listener, but, you know, that Paul Rust and oh. Matt Gourley yeah, yeah. Halloween rewatch series, which is very funny, but, like, it also has, like, you know, just genuine insights from two guys who like these movies, and they they keep referencing this this book, Taking Shape, that has a lot of great information in it, where it's like, Halloween 1 kind of wrote the, the blueprint for slashers. And then Friday the 13th came on the heels of it with Sean Cunningham being this like very deliberate, like I'm going to take the obvious things of this movie and churn out these franchises. 
And so what Halloween excelled at by being original, Halloween 2 came after some of these slasher movies. And I feel like Halloween 2 is a good slasher movie, but it's a terrible sequel to Halloween. Okay. Well, yeah, the kills are great. The kills are great. There's a twist. There's like you know, there's there's jump scares. It's got it's got you know, I, I, if I remember correctly, there's there's a handful of titties in that. You know, there it's is, got all the oh, and and Leo, Leo Rossi's in there. Uh, like see, like it's got all the stuff. You know, it's it's a very good slasher movie, but it's not a Halloween sequel. And every sequel that followed, like I liked moments of Halloween three, and much like. What I admired about the new Halloween, I liked that they were willing to go there and kind of do something weird and, you know, but this, in my mind, there's Halloween and there's Halloween, which is weird because there are two movies named Halloween Halloween, with a lot of chronology in between between, that I am very happy to ignore. Well, before before we end, I I, want to say one of my favorite Easter egg things, speaking of Halloween 3, was... um, uh, oh, the masks. Yeah, the masks. That was so cool. Yep. Like like the three kids that were wearing, like it was like the witch, the fucking pumpkin, and whoever else. Three more days till Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a really cool thing to throw in there. And um, uh, just finishing up here, um, do you feel like this movie is better than H2O? I think it's definitely better than H2O. As far as just qualifying it, it's definitely better. H2O has some weird moments there's a lot of inconsistency about who Michael kills. The mask looks terrible. The mask looks the score, terrible. The score in H2O is so bad that it? it really fucks with a lot of scenes. Williamson wrote that, right? Kevin Williamson? I feel like he... I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, I he, had a, I feel like he had a hand in writing that because they were like, oh, you did Scream and you did all this other shit. So I and fe- yeah, it's so Scream. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is coming on the heels of Scream. It's got some good performances. I was blown away with the similarities in the lorries, how like alcoholism was yes. there, how deadbeat parents were there, how yes. she must have had her kid young, how, you know, David Gordon Green said that the lorry in his movie was based on one line from the first movie when she says, do as I say. And he's like, we see that Lori, who's this very sweet, you know, character in the first movie that when she's afraid, she gets aggressive. That's what Gordon Green said. And he's like, we're developing from there. And this movie kind of has H2O was like what late nineties, early two thousands, Lori would do dealing with something like this. And Halloween 2018 is so steeped in the culture of the time that like, it's crazy to see some of the elements that really were shared in both movies, but like there's no auteur kind of vision to H2O. It's just a very competent reintroduction. Yeah. And what H2O had going for it the most was such a satisfying ending. It was, and I think that they, they, they had no intentions on Megan 8, so I think that's why they, they did it like that, if I remember correctly. But also, like, it was of the time. Like, it, it yeah, even, even like, the cover was very much like, okay, we're trying to do, like, this scream thing. But when, you hear that fucking Creed song in there twice. When I, oh, jeez, don't remind me. But when, <laughs> but when I recently rewatched it within, the, like, the last few years, it was a lot better than I thought it was. Um, there were certain things. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, there were certain things that worked really well. Uh, there was other things that didn't, like when like Michael Myers like did like a one arm pull up. 
Oh, and then they revisited that in Resurrection. It's like, yo, come on. I was like, what the fuck? Just like, did he just like lower himself down with one arm? Like, why does he look like he's five foot six? Totally silently, of course. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, LL Cool J, what a wasted role. His erotic poetry. What a wasted role because it's like, okay, we want to have LL Cool J in here. But we have nothing to give him. So let's give him this terrible fucking role. Yeah, I wonder if there's any kind of connective tissue between Cool J and H2O and Busta and Resurrection. Uh, like, they have to, like there's a one yeah. rapper per movie clause yeah. or something. <laughs> oh, we need a rapper on this one. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Sorry, guys. Got to get him in here. Listen. But like how Lori kills him, like she needs to be sure, which is the exact opposite of what this movie does. Because so much of H2O's ending relied on Lori's just driving decision to like i have to see him dead and then once she does it the movie ends i thought that was the best part of that movie was how there's no kind of simmer down after that there's no like her wearing a policeman's coat sitting in the back (laughs) of the ambulance like the she chops his fucking head off like they're crying it's this emotional moment and then she's just like whoop there goes your head then and the and then, then you hear, din, 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 din. yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely not as good, you know. But I, I think that's a tall order at the very least because everybody wasn't wasn't the horror genre was kind of dying. Oh, I was it was yeah, it was like scream, and everybody had to do a scream after that. I'm sure H2O only got greenlit because of Scream's success. I'm pretty sure I'll look it up, but I I think Kevin Williamson was the one who. Who like wrote a lot of the script, and I think that's I feel that's like what you're I, right. Um, I feel like you're right. They even like have a, a screenshot of somebody watching Scream on a TV in H2O. Like wow. it's that embedded in the in the story itself. Um. All right. So, anything else that we want to say in closing? We have like a little bit left. I'll give you uh the one. I mean. I, I wasn't kidding when I told you before this. Like, I really... We could do a mini-series on what I have to say <laughs> about this movie. Like, I'm so grateful the opportunity not only to talk about it with anyone, but to talk about it with you specifically. This has been a real treat. I feel like I've just, like, fucking... Like, had a, a breakthrough in therapy, I got to say so much. Like, I finally, you know... Yeah, no, you... got to come out with it. You definitely... I, yeah, you dropped some gems. There's just so much. It's so dense. There's so much stuff in there. And I wonder, I have like one kind of fun question, which is the one that I didn't get to since we kind of answered all the other ones that I have. So, and I have a feeling we might have the same answer to this. It doesn't have to be a remake. It doesn't have to be a sequel. Damn. I'm I'm going to run out of time. I got to restart it. Oh, do we really? I do. Do I got to kill it now? (laughs) No, you could keep recording. I'll, I'll do it on mine. I uh, I wonder what Carpenter movie you think is best for revisitation. Um, man, like if there's a movie in that catalog, because I feel like now we have never been more ready for like a David Gordon Green auteur styled remake of They Live. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm I'm going to run out of time. Hold on. Let me just hit, just just keep keep your thing rolling and I'm I'm going to redo uh I'm going to arm another track on mine, all right? Okay, cool. We'll do. Um damn, so that's a good question. So what what you know, I was thinking about Carpenter today. Um 
actually, so last night I, I went to go, I, you know, um, I went to sleep to the thing. Um, so at night, like wow. w- nightmare w- fuel, dude. <laughs> so the thing is, is like when, like at night when it's like 11, like if it's something new, I, I don't put anything on later than eight o'clock because I, I can't concentrate. Okay. You know, like if it's like 10 or 11, cause I, I, I'm a, you know, morning person. I wake up at like eight. So once we get to like 11 and I want to watch something, I, I put on something that I could memorize, you know? So I, yeah, like you, you're not going to miss anything. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, like I, I know where phone. I'm at. I know where. Yeah, I yeah. know where I'm at. So uh, you know, at eleven, like me and my girlfriend start watching the thing, and I, I started thinking about Carpenter, and I'm just thinking, like, man, like, was there anyone better, like, <laughs> from that world? Seriously, like, seriously. Like, like Halloween, The Fog, They Live, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Like he, his fuck- whole vibe, just it, 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 it's so. As time goes on, it only is revealed more and more how great he was. It's like he's age, he's getting better. All these movies are getting better with age. Better with age. And like you see a movie like Get Out and you're like, that is because of Carpenter. Yeah. That movie never would have happened. Like not never, but you know what I mean? Like the lineage is so clear. Man, it kills me when like I read on occasion, maybe on, on Facebook where people are like, oh, it's such... People say Get Out is like this like overhyped piece of garbage, and I'm thinking like, yo, if you didn't like us, fine, I'll give you us. I liked us. I liked us more after the yeah, end. I liked it's a different us movie. us more after the ending. But Get Out is fucking brilliant. It's fucking, there's nothing not brilliant about it. It's fucking and, and brilliant. I'm sorry, but that's gotta be. I, this might just be my own, you know, kind of bias. You know, there's there's. I mean. A gatekeeper fucking fanboy is maybe my least favorite type of fucking person. Like yeah. you're contrarian. It's because people love it that you want to tear it down. And I can't imagine that unless you're just like, well, I don't like how they're empowering black people because yeah. you're a racist fucker or something. Yeah. Like what's not to like and get out? Like it's it's a it's- truly revolutionary piece of movie making on every level. And it is... There is no more direct uh, influence than John Carpenter. Like yeah. that vibe has really—he was way ahead of the fucking curve. Now, if you ask me, what I think—I I know the. Fo- I mean, they live is a good one, especially now. Especially the reason why Carpenter made they live, which you it was, he, yeah. he said it was so anti-Reagan at the time. Um, this would be such a pro- in the in the social media age yeah. the you know all t- the idea that that news isn't to be trusted like that everything's screen based that there's demagoguery all over. I feel like they live you could even cast the fucking wrestler give me fucking Dave Bautista <laughs> in they he, live Two electric boogaloo he, I'll fucking take it he's available he's available yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have I'd like to see like a real good remake of the fog. Oh, um, me too, man. That's how, a great one. How about Christine? Like, how did how'd you make Christine? How good is Christine? Did Christine, that's like how how, how is so that good. how is that a good movie? It's about a car. You know what I'm saying? Like, how did you <laughs> yes! how'd you do that? Like, I'm watching it. <laughs> the going premise like, is so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous. Yet every time uh, it's on, I'm like, this movie's so good. And it's and it's like, how am I supposed to be afraid of Thornton Mellon's kid? This is yeah, insane. Thornton fucking Mellon's kid. I'm like, I can't be afraid of this guy. And it's Christine like, Christine was a fucking great movie, hundred percent. Yeah, he he. You was, could even make a Fast and the Furious horror 
remake of Christine. <laughs> I even like the premise. I don't know if you've ever seen Ghost of Mars. I, I, I forced myself through that one. I did not enjoy it. But, I mean, I like the beginning. Like, I, I thought it was, like, cool. I like the... Um, I, I feel like, obviously... Man, there was something about typecasting rappers and giving them, like, the... Okay, Dude. like, you do the... like It's like, all right, you do the sassy black guy rapper yeah. thing. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, yo, like, thank God we're so beyond that because it's, like, yeah. embarrassing. It's like, you know, it, it was just so bad. Like, Ice Cube I feel like Ludacris and, and Crash just uh, killed it for everybody. Oh, that was good. That was the end of that. But you're right. Yeah, there was like this one rapper per movie clause. And I feel like there's something to do with horror not being taken seriously where it's like, oh, these 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 artists want to start acting. Let's throw them in horror movies. Yeah, yeah, you know? you, yeah. It's like we'll throw you at the bottom and, you know, you'll work your yeah. way. You'll work your way up to crash. And if and it probably has like it probably doesn't have nothing to do with like maybe them saying, oh, I'd love to be in a horror movie, you know, like that. That's the genre that maybe you know, bust rhymes or whatever wanted to get into. You know? I mean, that resurrection is so like, you know, it's October and, and it's always randomly on cable, you know, like if you put on like AMC or whatever. And sometimes I, I just feel put like a it real on sucker for renting it. Yo, it's oh really? Well, you, you know, you, <laughs> you got the un- four bucks well spent for sure. That's fine. I mean, that's what I did with, with Halloween. Uh, just, you know, I'm like, ah, four bucks just to get it real quick. Halloween but Resurrection is so bad. It's dude. I'm, I'm so fresh off of bad. my first viewing yesterday, so it's, I'm still uh, like it's Im- like it's impressively bad. And I think <laughs> I think that in I think the technology now that it seems so dated makes like the story even <laughs> right. It just makes it You're even right. worse. You're right. It's like whenever you see somebody check their pager in a movie yeah. or something. <laughs> It's like, oh, let me check my T-Mobile sidekick, I think. Somebody. Yeah, or they're making, like, topical references and shit. Like, it's so, it just locks it in that time so specifically. Resurrection had every, like, fucking C-list, like, best friend from some dumb movie in it. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You're the like, script yeah. literally felt like it was written by autocorrect. You're like, like, it's just... You're, nonsense you're like i know this you know what was a fun open and to close because we've been going forever um going back to h2o i thought that was a fun open so it's the girl it was it, it's 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 the nurse from halloween 2 mm-hmm. um and i was Little like George, joseph gordon levitt up in there yeah and i was like oh this this was cool like i for some reason it worked although the very end of the scene where like the cops are like going into the house and like Michael just like drives away. I'm thinking like when no no one sees this car. Like, yeah, there was a little. Uh, that was part of the inconsistency with with H2O2 because in the beginning, like we're introduced to three characters who are dispatched of pretty brutally, and then we see the beginning of H2O. Michael is just leaving a lot of survivors. And I'm like, all right, dude, what's your, uh, what's your game plan here? What are yeah. you trying to accomplish? Yeah. What's your, like, like, yeah. Cause then, you know, it, it's, everything was, was married to, to Laurie Strode. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. You exactly. know, from and that's what makes it so much less scary yeah. than the first movie. You know, the, I, I can close with a little anecdote here. You know, Andy Matichek who plays Allison in, um, in, in the new Halloween 
her mother was a babysitter when she was a teenager in the 70s, right? And her mother goes to see Halloween in the theaters and it fucking traumatizes her. Like she quits her babysitting job that she had been doing for years. I believe Because it. this movie fucking traumatized her, right? So she has a daughter. She, you know, makes references to the fact that like, oh yeah, Halloween was a movie that really fucked me up. And then two years in a row when Andy Matichek was still a kid... Somebody pranked their house by dressing up like Michael Myers and standing on the corner of their block for like hours. They said it was literally like hours because they had like timed it because the mother was so scared that she wouldn't even go out to confront the guy. And then sure fucking enough, she winds up in a fucking Halloween movie. Like sometimes the universe makes a little bit of sense. Oh, God, that's so great. That's crazy, right? Yeah, that, I mean, and and if you're, you know, in the seventies, you you really had no point of reference. Like, if if you made it pass and you didn't see like Last House on the Left or something really traumatizing, like yeah, yeah, if totally. you're if you're a babysitter and you watch Halloween in like seventy eight, where you're like everything is still kind of like hidden and like you don't yeah, there's nothing like that. Out there's there nothing there like that. that. You you might be like, yo, what the fuck? I'm never babysitting again. Yeah. Even like The Exorcist is so yeah. like stuck in religion and like it's it's this insulated kind of thing where like the genuine and very successfully done horror of Halloween is that you gave somebody like this woman, like Andy Matichek's mother, you give her this experience that scares her so much because it feels like it's it, it could be her town that it's happening in. And like that is what's so scary about Halloween. And that's what was so great about these, you know, these guys taking over and making it this like kind of auteur movie where they really dig deep into like what made this, what this is the movie that created the slasher genre that over the years has become so diluted and not scary that it's like they've made a new beginning out of reinventing the very first beginning. And it puts us in a great position where I feel like horror is really just like, it's, it's an undeniable fandom that's only getting bigger and bigger. And I I mean, you have horrors putting out some of the best movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the most dependable genres right now. And you have prestige pieces like get out, getting that kind of attention. None of that's by accident. Now, even TV, man, like fucking, I've I've been, I don't know if you started Lovecraft Country, but holy, I have, I've been watching it. I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding some bits of it, but like, it's, 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 it's good. It's, it's yeah. definitely fucking great. You I, know? F- I feel like certain shows like that, that, like it's J.J. Abrams and Jordan Peele, and I'm just thinking like, man, those you could, f- yeah, Misha Green, yeah, you could feel like all three of their fingerprints on, on that. End product, you like this, is- and I know I've talked about it a bunch of times, but it's it's. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, Channel Zero was this excellent yeah, horror series. I heard. I know it's up on Remarkable. Shutter. Remarkable. Yeah. Really, really, really good. The Tooth like, Monster, Twilight Zoney, and horror, and like human stories. Like that's what you know. McBride was uh had said something about when he was asked about the the humor in in the script for Halloween 2018. And he's like, humor and horror rely on some very similar principles, which is set up and payoff. And that like these movies are enhanced by being able to watch them in an audience of more than yourself. And that 
what makes something truly funny or truly scary is exponentially related to your investment in that character. You know, it enhances the scares and the laughs if characters are given enough care and attention that you're scared for them or you're laughing with or at them. Well, I can't wait for, you know, Halloween kills and then Halloween ends. Um, Same, dude. I'm psyched to see what happens. Like, they're bringing the Doyle kids back, and that's going to be a whole new fucking onion to peel. I can't wait. Yeah. Yo, did you know? So you know that meme um, with the uh, the cat on one end and the blonde girl crying pointing? Oh, sure. So you know who the girl next to the blonde girl is? Oh, God. Who? It's Lindsay Lloyd, the girl from Halloween. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, she's one of the housewife, like one of those shows. <laughs> Shut up. So that's where that scene is from, and she's uh, what? yeah, because like when I found out, I was like, that's holy crazy. shit! I'm like, that's little Lindsay Lloyd <laughs> sitting there watching that TV. That is crazy. Yeah. Like, wait, wh- how did she get desperate housewife status? Does she like have a tequila brand now or something or what? I don't know. Maybe she's married to someone. <laughs> is that what it's called? No, uh, so like uh, something housewives of wherever the fuck. I mean, it could be one of a million as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. I know it's 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 its own genre of TV now, the desperate genre. Yes, but I mean, Just I'm like the throwing white wine genre of TV. I couldn't imagine like I'm like watching this meme with the cat over and over again. And then I find out it's like, oh, yeah, that's the girl who's going to be in the next Halloween movie because she's uh, that was her character. She was a little kid in Halloween one. It's fucking wild. Yeah. And I hear that Daniel Harris might be showing up in the next one, too. Uh, I hope so. Why not? Me, too. Throw her Me in. Too. She's the only reason four, five, 4 and 5 are watchable. 4 is great, I think. 4 is still kind of cool. Um, it has its flaws, but I, it still had like great characters. 5 is pretty brutal to watch. Yeah, just a cynical piece of trash uh, made by somebody who clearly had no reverence for the no, genre or the movie absolutely itself. yeah 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 not at all yeah and and it's and it's a cynical piece of shit garbage but uh and what's crazy is that that's like the first time i ever saw it's burned in my mind i have a pretty good long-term memory yeah, and i mean the first time i ever saw michael myers was that poster for number five in my local video store 89? and just like how she was there in that little clown outfit or whatever yeah it was it burned in the brain and i remember being like well what is what is so scary about this? And then here I am all these years later, still picking apart that same question. And like, it just, I'm I'm still get the same fucking nerd boner for it every time. Well, um, awesome. Jake, awesome talking to you. Uh, we really fucking jumped into, into this movie and, uh, this will be a really fun, um, you know, October episode for red river. And uh, same man, I had such a great time doing this, man. Thank you. Yeah, this man. Was such a blast talking for to you sure. about this. I, I miss you. I'm glad I got to talk to you for so long. And same, hopefully, same, definitely. Ho- hopefully, I will see you sooner than later. Yeah, man. All right. Happy October surprise. Later, Jake. Adios. Bye.